And I call them devils because Kenny devils, right? Is any team, truthfully, I mean, hand in heart, any team who can plot and implement and take down clear at the moment, I, I do think it's Kenny. Join myself, Willow Callahan, along with James Skehill and Paul Murphy for the best insight this hurling season. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, you're very welcome along. It's half past seven on a Monday morning where it's very difficult to know exactly where to start after the weekend's mayhem in the world of GAA. All the newspapers are starting uh, the front page pictures of the uh, apparent gouging or the alleged gouging. They're all being very careful with their uh, language in the game yesterday. But Owen, you were, you were there. You had a ringside seat for it. Your footage is... Um, Circulating on on Twitter as we speak, is it? Did you put a post in the end? I actually didn't do. You didn't do that at the end. Yeah, I, it didn't load in Croke Park. Right, and then there was well, events overtook you. Yes, exactly. I mean, uh, that's that's why um, you know you you want to kind of like tut tut a brawl while saying, please watch my video on social media, everybody, and uh, try and cash in those uh, sweet sweet views. Uh, so unfortunately, that didn't materialise. Really, and I'm sure everybody's it's not too late now, is it? I mean, I think the, it's going to be the Pruder film really to try and get people off. Kind of, or is the reality just that not much happened except for one obvious thing? I don't know. I, I don't know about that. There was plenty of wrestling to the ground. There was plenty of that neck wrestling that like was definitely a, supposed to be something that they were clamping down on. Mm. Um, and was there a few? Was there a few kicks on the ground? Was there a stamp as well in the middle of it? Like no, no. You know, obviously everybody's focused ex- almost exclusively on the gouge. Fair enough. It's like the you know, it's the uh, the the. A bit. That's the most important part. That's that's the lead. But I'd I'd say I'd, maybe maybe they just decide. Do you know what? All Ireland semi final can't really be having half a team against Derry. Wouldn't be fair under the circumstances. Away you go. Is that what happens? Is that what we think happens? Like as you think that Galway could otherwise be in with a raft of suspensions. Well, they, I mean that's what happened this year. Okay, they'd be within, sorry exactly what's happened this year. Maybe I'm I'm killing our next bit here. But the, a raft of suspensions and then. The week of the game, they'd all get off. That's what would happen. Yeah. Essentially, that's what we either we telescope that down to. Okay, look, it was pretty bad, but you know, don't do it again. Or, or here, here's like a twenty grand fine for the county boards. Um, so I don't know. It would have been interesting had uh, David Goff been the referee in that first game as opposed to the second game because he's obviously been the only referee who's properly taken this on, and he did so earlier this year in the Armagh Tyrone situation with the multiple uh, red cards after that particular brawl. I wonder what was the inquest after that. Like, is that how the game should be refereed? Is that how a brawl should be refereed? Or yeah, I don't know. Well, look, like because I definitely I'm, I'm stamping on the bit that we're about to do when it comes to the performance ranking. So OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. How was the night afterwards? Oh, and that's really what I want to care about. Okay, so here performance rankings coming. Iron George preview tonight. Anthony Moyes in studio ten past eight. Sports pages eight thirty five. Alan Quinlan from down under at eight fifty. Aaron Kernan to uh, pour over the coals of the RMA situation at ten past nine. And then the papers looking back at the live golf stuff. How was the night afterwards? On that, what was was Dublin a flame? That's what I want to know. Well, not, not like tonight wasn't just like very very um, good or wild I'm, I am here this morning I know like but in, me, in, uh, in, in body are you here also in spirit I'm here also in spirit okay there's I'm a timbre to your voice that's a, a bit you know it's, it's, it's peachy it is peachy Monday morning peaches uh, is, is, is what the situation always is it, was, it looked like it was going to be a, a decent night but um, no as you, I say I'm you, here you made your excuses and left I made my excuses and got home in time for this, in plenty of time for the Sunday game to to rewatch all the, the the great football and brawl that we got over the course of of the weekend. Yeah, okay, let's get into it. It's time for the uh, Gillette performance rankings. 
You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. Our performances was just lacked that intensity. Oh yeah, Roy Keane. He's even not, uh, not even a mention of Roy Keane at this stage now. It's, it's so old news after what happened yesterday. The fact that he was sitting in the stands on Saturday. I, I saw Joe tweeting this, and I felt the same uh, in the moment that he was about to stick his finger up to the camera. Did, like, but that was that was one part of it. I don't know if everybody actually watched the person sitting beside Roy Keane doing an old excavation of the nose, and then a bit of a roll, and just just before the camera goes, a flick, and you're like, oh my god! <laughs> but nobody really noticed because it's like Roy Keane sitting beside him, who's given his mate a bit of crap for something that happened and then turn it back to the camera and it looks like just about to give the whole stadium the fingers but it didn't happen <laughs> uh, yeah no unfortunately not go back uh, and check the nose picker though yeah no 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 nose picking allowed in public if you're going to do it put a tissue in front of it shield us from your disgrace <laughs> Um, is that like uh, some sort of metaphor for the Cork footballers on Saturday? Is, that, is there like a segue here that we're looking for? I mean, the Cork footballers, right? Whatever the Cork footballers is coming, whatever's coming for the Cork footballers should be coming for the Mayo footballers. We'll deal with that in a minute. But like, lads, Mayo. I don't know. Are, are, who's in red? Yeah, well, Mayo are in red. We're going to get to that in just a sec. But uh, the brawl is kind of where we have to, to start this morning as something, I guess. Like, I mean, it's, as far as brawls go, you'd have to say that it was probably... Uh, in the red as well because other than the, the eye gouge where were the flashpoints in this where, where, where ah no it? oh and I think you're I, th- I, I thought it was immediately into the top three or four Croke Park brawls come on like I mean it's so obviously the standard setter is 1996 yeah and you've done a whole documentary about it yeah and so there, therefore you're, you're wedded to that right you, were, you, you loved that more than all of the other brawls because the passage of time has Ease the pain, etc., etc. Well, let me let We're me just pull back the, the let me pull back the curtain on uh, on yesterday a little bit. So the the tweet that wouldn't load for me because there was too many people in Croke Park was um, something I don't know what the caption was, something very desperately unfunny as per usual, which was like uh, this is masquerading between uh, a shamazel and a brawl on the spectrum. So I didn't actually I didn't even classify it in the tweet that never got sent as a brawl because I found I didn't see the eye gouge uh, actually happen. And uh, I just I just thought it was just like a, a massive situation of, of people pulling and dragging and those headlocks, those really annoying headlocks. Can we take the eye gouge out of it for a second? Yeah. And, and just because obviously that's going to be its own separate issue. It is, it's, it's horrific. It looks absolutely grim. And it's on the front of all of the papers. That's the very front cover, not of the sports section of the Irish Times, but of the actual newspaper itself. Uh, it's on one of the tabloids. Uh, I saw is the picture and uh, it's Comer smiling afterwards I think so he doesn't seem to have been too damaged thankfully um, oh no Pete's Love Island is the, is the headline <laughs> uh, Pete Taylor got married again that's the only one the only of the front pages he was able to knock them off on that one and then I think this one is Sunday sh- the Sunday shame gouging horror Mars game that's the, the sun so the gouge is absolutely despicable and we don't want to make light of the gouge and uh, there should definitely be a lengthy suspension handed down particularly because the person involved wasn't part of the match day squad and so therefore you know is this a legal issue should it be a legal issue should we start making a, a, a definitely all of that conversation should happen 100% but taking the brawl on its merits apart from that I think it's like it's definitely right up there right you, you've got you've got Management from both teams centrally involved in the midst of it, like horse and lads out of it, being peacemakers before anybody, before anybody, before my phone melts. They were, they were definitely being peacemakers, but that immediately elevates it from just a, a, the, the two teams. No, 
I, I think it felt elevated because of the context of it that we had just witnessed what felt at the time like one of the most spectacular collapses in a knockout football game or one of the greatest comebacks you're likely to see. And then all of a sudden you have this flashpoint at the end where Armagh have got under Galway's skin and, and it's being manifested in a brawl. You could make an argument that the brawl was just a really bad idea by Armagh and like, I mean, I don't want to say who started it, but like, it does feel like obviously the, the, the James Morgan yapping at the at full time is a central part of the. It, it's one of the matches that's used to uh, to bring this whole thing uh, to, to to fire. And I'm not sure if he had his time back, he would try and like that match again because coming back from seven points down late on, scoring two late goals, it's a pretty good way to get under the opponent's skin. That brawl, I wonder, at the end, does that give Galway an extra bit of a kick? Like, I mean, like you, saw, you saw Sean Kelly's face when he saw the eye gouge. He was furious, yeah. absolutely furious with yeah. what he had seen, and rightly so. Like, he's bringing that energy into the dressing room at full time. That collective energy going out into to extra time. Like, I wonder, I wonder did the brawl actually serve Armagh well at all? Like, they are the common denominator with a lot of the big brawls we've seen this year. I can understand why you might try and... Uh, start a flare-up at certain points in the game to take the energy out of the game, to get under the opponent's skin. And Armadou have always been very, very good at doing that. Um, I, I'm just not sure that it actually... I think Galway might have been the winners, even though one of their guys got eye-gouged. I think they might have been the winners as a result of this. I think it just completely... Uh, I, I don't know, it, it gave them a, maybe an, an extra kick of energy. Maybe not. The, 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 the gap in between full-time and extra time was extraordinarily long anyway. Unbelievable. Like, it just was like, what are we doing? We're waiting and waiting and uh, waiting. Why, why do they go off the field? Like, why do they have to go off the field? At full-time, in a game, where it's a draw, sorry lads, you've got three minutes, we're changing ends, away we go. Yeah. Like the, And the, again, the uh, everything has has all been telescoped and the conversation is now like um, there are too many the penalties have become a big thing you're like ah lads shut up right we, we knew what the rules were in advance if you were if you were this exercised by it show up at congress put your hand up go to a, go to a meeting in your club and say I'd like to put a proposal for it because we all knew what was coming so just shut up about the penalties and get on with it for now if you want to change it let's have that conversation at the end of the year many other things happened yesterday of far more far greater significance than the penalties um, mm. uh, like I lost that there because uh, why didn't RTE cut the footage don't need people seeing this says David Tomney I'm like what imagine if they cut the footage of course we need to see it that's the whole point so what happened on TV like, like um, they were about to go to like, a break they were about to go to a break and uh, and then the, the fight started and they're like oh well we'll just, just keep an eye on this see what happens and then it kept getting bigger and bigger um, and I think it lasted about a minute did it longer I think my, minute, my video was a minute and 20 seconds right um, so that is a lengthy enough brawl. And I just like with the amount of people involved, it, it, there was like three mini shamazels within it. So it just kept, the momentum just kept going and going and going until everybody eventually got totally exhausted. But like, I mean, there's just so many different elements to it all, like as well, even kind of that, that instance earlier than that, where, or was it earlier than that or later than that, where the umpire just told, you know, that, was, that, was down with that of, sort of thing? That was the end of um, normal time. That was in the normal time, right? Like, little, little did he know. Little did he know what was about to happen. Like, he, he's, he is the guy who's at fault for this. He's the guy who uh, really wound him up. You can't tell us what to do, umpire, is what our <laughs> man thought. Like, for, for me, like, it was, it was quite unusual that this was a game that this, this happened with. Like, like at halftime, there was no sense of, a, of any sort of uh, nastiness going down the tunnel. This was a complete. The second half just took on a whole life of its own in this game. I thought the first half was grand. 
I thought I, I did see people at halftime like raving about the first half of the game. Yeah, I thought, uh, thought it was fine. Yeah, like, it I thought Galway were desperate at the start, and it was a it was it actually felt a little bit pedestrian at times that first half, and then the second half just took off like a rocket. And for me, one of the moments where I first realised that this was going to uh, have a little bit something spicy about it was when uh, Conor Mackin came on uh, with his goggles and immediately starts verbally. Uh, possibly abusing uh, the, uh, the the man he was marking, uh, arms around him sort of thing, the Galway man yapping back at him. I'd love to know what he was saying to him, but he was sent out there with a message to get right inside the head of the Galway man. And the red card, obviously, is a significant enough thing. I think Armagh felt particularly aggrieved when they saw it live. In the stadium, you don't know that actually the referee probably got it right. You just have no idea. Again, being in the stadium, being an inferior product to being at home watching on TV. like Sometimes. Come well, on. Like, I mean... What a call by Coldrick. Coldrick was refereeing it, right? Wasn't it? Yeah. Like, what a call to get that in real time. Because when I saw it, I was like, well, that's shoulder to shoulder. Um, but to make those decisions in, in real time is really, really difficult. There's an eruption of blood. I think okay, that helps. Okay. I that think that definitely sense. helps with your decision. Is like, okay, there's blood. How did that happen if it was shoulder to shoulder? Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, how did he cut his head? Was it a clash of heads? Because the, the Armand man definitely goes down and makes it look like there's a clash of heads. But um, I, I think that that. that gave him a bit of confidence that something more has happened here Yeah, and uh, it's it's not that uh, he's led with the head or he's led with the elbow it's that there's a recklessness to it and that's the bit that allows me to brandish the right card which was a correct decision like you have to say uh, Galway were clearly the better outfit over the 90 minutes of gameplay but are so flaky that they can't be trusted themselves like the one thing about the nastiness there was definitely an air where there was an off-the-ball challenge on Shane Walsh, which was almost in exactly the same spot as he'd been done last year by Mayo uh, in a very similar situation where he was he, like writhing in the turf, yeah. holding his, his uh, surgically reconstructed shoulder. And you're like, I mean, if this doesn't inspire Galway to go and fight fire with fire. But it didn't really. Like, it, it seemed to just make them more retreat into their shell as the game went on. And then for Shane Walsh to be the player who kicks the ball across the field oh aimlessly to give Armagh the opportunity. You're like, well, this is, this is as you said, one of the all-time great GA collapses. And for them to come out of that to the other side, bruised and uh, still going, I don't know. I don't know what happens now. I don't know what happens now to Galway. I, I don't know what to think of them after yesterday. I, yeah, neither do I. I actually think we're going into a semi-final weekend, which is like Galway are mad times too where it, both games are kind of a toss of a coin when it comes to predictions and that, that's a really exciting prospect uh, ye- yesterday Galway are mad was the most extraordinary GEA game I've ever seen live and it would be it, it's something very 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 dramatic will have to happen in the future for it to be topped I'm not saying it's the best game I ever saw as I said I think the first half was actually overrated but it was the most extraordinary GEA game I've ever seen live and it probably won't be topped the energy in that stadium was absolutely incredible yesterday it was, it was our mad day yeah, it looked like it was just a sea of orange everywhere you looked. I've never seen, like, it was like a throwback to the 90s with the amount of flags that the Armagh people had clearly been instructed to bring into the canal end with them. And it was just this, this incredible, incredible afternoon. Like, on the, the Galway point, I really thought they were so bad in that first half, but yet they go in at halftime level. Like, does that actually point to maybe an element of steel that we're not giving them credit for? And And, and another, like... So, look, maybe that's just Armagh not uh, capitalising enough on their, I guess, a, a little bit of dominance that they had in that first half, not getting enough scores. Um, but there was something plucky about Galway going in at half-time 
level. Like, I just didn't think that they were, they were level pecking at all. I do agree, though, second half, I thought they were much the better team, as uh, was evidenced by being six, seven points up at, at one stage. Didn't they also have a late collapse against Roscommon that didn't actually matter because they were so far ahead? Yeah, Haven't they had know. these late collapses? Exactly. Haven't they had these late collapses over recent years? So, like, it's in them to do this. And if they can just get that out... Then they could win these games by seven to ten points. Like so, it's it's really weird. Um, and Why didn't Armagh kick the ball in long, high and know. long more uh, after they discovered that this was actually something that might uh, <laughs> prove fruitful for them? It, I just couldn't, couldn't get my head around it. Like um, it was a completely uh, anyway. You go and go and listen to uh, GA late night. Uh, oh, if you, <laughs> oh, if you want that is absolute essential listening. If you uh, want some Armagh voices telling you what they thought should have happened with those long balls going in, the, raining in. Like the the thing for Galway, like it was um, maybe it's just like lazy analysis, but it, it definitely felt that you know if if Armagh could like stop Conroy and Walsh and Comer, you you could they would have stopped Galway, and that goes for for every team. And maybe I'm not sure is it just because the lads have been around with the team a little bit longer than some of the other players, but it definitely feels that there's kind of like a B side to this Galway team, or, or it feels that way. Yeah. But they all stepped up yesterday, like McDade. Finnerty yeah. uh, and Tierney. They were, they were the three for me where it was like, okay, this is an arrival moment for those three players where uh, you know they can disprove that they're not of the quality of those three aforementioned players, that they can be the leaders of a team, aka and, uh, having enough players now yeah. to go and win in All-Ireland. But maybe they're overthinking games. Maybe they're trying to manage games and they're not quite at the standard of team who are able to manage games. They just need to keep doing what they were doing as opposed to, oh, we're going to turn into Dublin here and play keep ball for the last seven minutes of the game and, and bore the... Because they can't do it. They have, they've been blatantly unable to do it as opposed to trying to continue going for it and trying to score. So we'll come back to that because we've loads of time to talk about Galway. Um, an unbelievable game to be at. Not good for Galway men's heart on the incident. Looks like pushing and shoving before the gouge. A few punches thrown by Galway subs. Uh, Kelly should be okay for Derry? I think so. I can't see... Oh man, he has to play. Uh, Anthony Ryan says in every other tunnel teams go in and out of the same tunnel why is this too much to ask for in GAA I don't know I mean I think in a lot of other sports aren't actually you're not you're not like hopping off your direct opponent it's not like part of the rules where you're literally allowed to shoulder your direct opponent to try and knock him down like in soccer you can just about get away with that but it never happens so like you know it's a it's a it's a completely different thing uh, GA brings new meaning to the term tunnel vision says Kenny the dad brought aside Rian O'Neill what a player says Philip Dolan like I mean unfortunately Rian O'Neill the equaliser which should be one of the all time great GA moments is going to be like the, the C or D story from everything that happened but like what a you know yeah I'll do this no problems and um, Coulter didn't let them take the quick free kick they get the free kick and they kick it backwards and then Coulter tells them stop no you got to retake that free kick and then they realise actually we can pop this over the bar that I, I don't know like I mean it, does that circle us back to the first half of this game are man not believing that they can you know actually rack up a bit of a score here not actually uh, capitalising on a bit of dominance as I said against uh, um, Galway in that first half not knowing that in that moment you have a person who can kick the ball over the bar like um, I don't know it's like it's at the end of an absolutely mental game so I'm sure that it's hard to be completely thinking clear Owen Hurley says lads are too ballsy because they know they'll be pulled apart should just do what ice hockey does and let them at it give them two minutes in the sin bin to chill out afterwards third man in gets a red uh, slight concussion issue around that you know lots of people have had um, CTE as a result of uh, multiple beatings that they've taken in ice hockey um, cause of the scuffle and any egregious provocation can get looked at by the fourth official. Uh, oh, Philip Nolan says, sure, look, the gouger took a thumb from the Galway sub immediately afterwards. Job done, move on. There was a bit of uh, rough justice 
handed out. Uh, anyone else notice the guard in the top corner of the picture with his arm folded? Well, there was there was another guard who was like getting involved, who was like pushing people apart, going here. What? Well, stop this lad! Stop it! Um, she was at least doing her job. The rest of them were like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're told not to do anything. Maybe they're actually told if you do get involved, then it becomes a guard matter. Whereas actually. Your job is to police the crowd. The, mm. the, the sporting event is is looked after. I don't know. It's all a bit of a grey area, isn't it? Yeah. Like, like, could you could you could you whip out the bat on and start wading in on the lads? Come back, come back, come back. Can you imagine that? Your man, like everybody. Because if this happened on the street, that's what they'd be doing. Everybody the, getting pepper sprayed. Yeah. Uh, Jack Emeraldo says some of the <laughs> some of the fight promotions have neutral ninjas all dressed in black they jump in and they pull the lads apart that would be amazing can you imagine the list of volunteers Who, who's your neutral ninja like every every corner boy from every small town in Ireland volunteering to come up dressed all in black with their their gimp mask on to get in and be the one to pull them all apart <laughs> right lots of comments coming in we need to move on what's next uh, we're going to be coming back to that game in a sec I feel we might run out of time but uh, let's just move to Mayo because they're also in the red this morning because they were bad yesterday and like there's probably wider questions that are going to be asked around Mayo over the next little while James Horne didn't really um, kind of like comment on any of those issues yesterday as you might expect right after the game he wasn't going to make an emotional response to questions around his future around players future and to be honest it's not up for him to be talking for the players futures anyway for some of them that might be deciding whether or not they're in or out for next year does feel that this could be the end of Oren Mark 2 like it, it does feel like this is a, a is a big old climb next year for them to get back to an all-around final again granted they were missing a couple of players yesterday and th- that definitely impacted their season somewhat the injuries that they have sustained and it's been a bit of a, a turbulent season for them but it does feel this is kind of a little bit of a uh, full stop uh, in, in the current part of, of, of Mayo and, and their story it feels that, like something new has to happen for them to get back to the All-Ireland final next year this is they were just so bad yesterday and like maybe some people did see it coming I thought that I thought there was a higher level of performance in them um, and it just didn't happen especially in that second half they were abysmal in the second half when it was right there for them when the opportunity had presented itself they couldn't take it like that's the end of the golden generation of Mayo football it is officially over whatever happens next is a new generation and it's a new it's a new team but like that team that we came to know and love as the main team that went toe to toe with the dubs is over and I think like I, they, they've, there's nothing that they can do I, the point you make about the injuries right and I, I see some of the Mayo people who are good Mayo football fans who are like ah, hang on a second now we didn't have our full team out you never have your full team out you really never have your full Especially team out especially not this year in any situation though ever yeah. do you know like you know Kerry have their best player playing on one wing and some other issues around selection at the moment the dubs have you know the two of their two most important players out but they're still going on like that's what happens you, you know there's never been a year where all the male players were all fully fit and all available at one time because that's how the game works. And so you can't point to the injuries as being the thing, oh, next year it's going to be grand because of the injuries because other players will just get injured. That's, they, they don't have the strength and depth to be able to do it. Their biggest opportunity, it turns out, was last year and they couldn't do it. And then this year, when the opportunity was there for them again against a, a Kerry side who were sputtering because they actually haven't had the challenge that they need or the football that they need and weren't performing particularly well they still couldn't get it done and in the end they weren't even close to getting it done they got absolutely annihilated really yesterday once you kind of parse what happened Kerry were ruthless Mayo weren't Kerry are a far superior team to this Mayo team and 
Therefore, Mayo are no longer in the conversation as All-Ireland contenders. No matter what happens next year, go and win the league. I still won't trust you. Like, I actually won't trust this Mayo team again until they're climbing the steps because they can't do it. Like, I do think, though, the last couple of years, like getting to those two All-Ireland finals, like, unless it's just been a dramatic drop-off this year. They'd be Tipperary in the semi-final. Yeah, and, I, I and, know. Like, you know, like... I, I think he just kind of they beat Dublin in the semi-final big man through COVID so fair enough they beat the Dubs last year but like yeah. I, I think that there is like I just I'm not, I'm not saying like I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying what you're saying is wrong but I just feel that there is this notional thing with Mayo about their ceiling like what can this group of players achieve and well I they can't that, kick the ball over the bar from scoring positions and yet they still beat one of the greatest teams of all time last year so what does that say like I mean they can't kick the ball over the bar and you're still beating Dublin like that to me suggests a team with a ceiling that is greater than what we saw yesterday. Like I don't, I don't think yesterday is a real representation it seems of where Mayo be. should be at. But like they were, and they were horrible against Kildare. Like they were really fluky to win that yeah. game. Like yeah. they, they should have gone out in the last round. And that's like that's the level they're at at the moment. They're a quarterfinal team at the moment. They're playing like a quarterfinal team. I think that the Mayo fans could possibly have expected a little bit more from them this year. Like and granted, once you draw Kerry in a quarterfinal. You're not favoured to win that game. Kerry could well go on to win the All Ireland, and that that could uh, they may look back and say that they were always going to lo- lose that game. Just feels there's they're, like have they absolutely maximised everything, even uh, given the injuries this year? I wonder. Like is like w- was there a style of play going to be something that would give Kerry serious problems? I don't yesterday? know about that. That's a good question. Like, think- Kevin McLaughlin absolutely needs to nail that goal opportunity in the first half, and and he doesn't. But like that comes down to one person in one moment, and in a big day in Croke Park, that ball can easily fly over the bar. Paul Ganey absolutely botched a brilliant opportunity in the first half as well. So to me, the game plan wasn't set up in a way to unlock that Kerry defence enough to give Mayo good quality goal chances and they needed to score goals to beat Kerry granted Kerry do not give up goal chances at the moment so that's a very difficult thing to do but I just feel the, the, the Mayo style of play that would have given Kerry lots of problems in 2017 would not give Kerry problems uh, yesterday and uh, it probably turned out that way This has the bang of the Germany annihilation of England when Frank Lampard scored the goal that should have been given but wasn't given and that was the end of the golden generation that's the end of that team I think as far as that, that team goes Alan Morris says the point about the injuries in Mayo they were missing their best two scoring forwards in O'Donoghue and Conroy. But last year, they were missing Killian, and he was their best scoring forward. And the previous year, somebody else was injured. And that's the thing. Like, somebody's always going to be injured. You're always going to be missing some of your best players. That's how this goes. Some players will walk away. Some players will take time off. Like, that's just, that's just the rules of engagement when it comes to Gaelic football. You never have a full deck to deal with. So stop whining about not having a full deck and deal with the deck that you have and then come at us and say, OK, well, we're good enough. And there, there isn't time anymore in the condensed season to allow these injuries to, to heal. Uh, I think probably a backdoor route is more taxing now given the, the condensed season. We saw that all four provincial winners did win at the weekend. Granted, stats like that, we can sometimes get carried away and, and overanalyze it. But, but maybe we'll see over the next couple of years if the split season continues that that actually is the way to go. You need to be winning your province to win the All-Ireland. So, um, yeah, like I think the, the injuries thing, it, it did impact Mayo. Just like partic- just the, the exact type of injuries they got. They might have sustained even an Oshin Mullen injury better than they would have uh, sustained a Ryan O'Donoghue injury just given uh, the lack of score, scores in the forwards. And I know Mayo people are pissed off ra- around that analysis of you don't have scores in the forwards because, you know, the backs and their scores all count as well. It's not about forwards versus backs. It's about the volume of scores. Yeah. Having options on the pitch, you well, can get it, scores. It's actually about players who you know are going to hit 70, 75%. 
like if you've got Killeen O'Connor who's missing straightforward freeze, you know it's going to be a very, very difficult day. Now, the flip side is when you've got Aidan O'Shea pinging over 45 yards, uh, efforts off the outside of the boot, you start to think it is going to be Mayo's day. So, very Mayo is probably the conclusion on, on all of that. Yeah, Mayo esque. It's, um, it's a bit spursy. Right, next. Penalties, Amber. I'm not having penalties in the red, um, you know, because that seems to be the conclusion, I think, isn't it? That, you know, penalties bad, penalties soccer, penalties not yeah, a shut GEA. Up. So shut um, up. I think like. we've got to separate how sorry we feel for our Armagh with whether or not penalties is, is good or a bad idea. It was brilliant. Now, I think that, like, uh, was it a toss to, to decide what, which end it was? I don't know, I presume so. Or was it just always going to be at that end? I don't know. Is it like, is there a, a cameras or something issue? I don't know. But certainly into the hill, like, it's iconic. It's a big opportunity missed. It, in Croke Park, though, was iconic enough for me. Like, I just kind of like trying to absorb as much of this as possible. I'd never seen a penalty shootout live in GEA before. And even just like little bits like seeing the Croke Park scoreboard working as normal like a uh, 4-0 to 1-0 sort of thing. Is that with what the, it did, yeah? With the goals, the tally in brackets. So it was like 12-3 uh, as, <laughs> as the penalties were actually happening. Which I was, And also the umpire going, <laughs> when the goblin man or the arm man hit the post and it went wide, you know, they'd lost basically and the umpire still waved it wide. And it was like uh, rubbing salt into the arm wounds. Like <laughs> Stephen Campbell crying on the turf and the umpire going wide. You, uh, or, uh, actually, no, that was a point. Did, he, did, did the umpire uh, wave the white flag? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Um, but what yeah, happened? just the, the little kind of um, the, the, the Croke Park specifics of it all was, was very, very enjoyable. I think penalties absolutely has uh, a place in the GEA. It is a rule that exists in open play. Um, like people, like I, I don't understand the thing that it's like not oh, a skill. Oh, it's not a skill practice. they practice. Like it turns out they do. Turns out they do. Galway were practicing exactly. all year. It turns out they do amazing. practice it and they should be practicing it and it makes sense to practice and it's part of the rules and everybody knew what the rules of engagement were before the competition started so like you didn't care that much about it when it came up for conversation the first time around okay so now you've seen it fair enough you have an opinion great welcome and and maybe golden score would be better maybe golden it would be better so interesting but uh, like come on the one well, thing I would say is that like as on a selfish level I mean that, that open play extra time and second half of, of normal time they were just brilliant like brilliant times of football, like, and you just want more of that. Yeah, and like, I mean, we were talking about Kerry Mayo 2014 in the show last week. Like Kerry Mayo 17, all the great Kerry or Mayo Dublin uh, replays. A replay does have like an epic feel to it as well. Two games, it's like kind of like a multi-game series. It feels brilliant. That like, I wonder if actually you get to a certain stage in the season, it does go replay, and then for the second replay, for the for the replay, then you have the penalty shootout option. Well, that's what they're doing for the All Ireland final, right? Is that what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realise that. So, so that, that, that could be the solution for once you get to the knockout stages. But like, I mean... No time in the calendar for a replay here, though, like right? we got, Yeah, we've got to realise why penalties were brought in. Penalties were brought in because we wanted more definition in the GEA calendar. We wanted to know when a conclusion would begin and when it would end. And I guess if people are complaining about, you know, uh, club fixtures being pushed back all the time, then like penalties and winner in the day was a solution to it. And... I do. It's like really, really unique, and I, I was so happy when the game went to penalties on on the Sunday because like it's just not something I've seen before. One last point about this, and and uh, so Armagh go a point up, right? Uh, why didn't they just do what Dublin did and squash pull everybody, everybody down? What? Pull, pull everybody yeah. to the ground? Yeah. So, cause it, I was and, expecting and, that to happen. And the ball is down. It, like it's it's a goalway kick out. Mm. Why didn't they just at that point black card everybody? Come on, ref. What are you gonna do? Like yeah, yeah. Because if if. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe Galway can work a goal, but it's very unlikely. 
And where does where does the ball get restarted from? If everybody does it at the same time, I thought it was the most armad thing of all time to just like right, everybody here we go. Maybe they hadn't got. Maybe you know, like that. That's just part of a team's development. That actually, the, the, the little bit at the end of the knockout game in Croke Park is actually something hard to figure out. Like, which I think maybe makes Derry's performance, which we'll get to in, in a moment, all the more extraordinary on Saturday. Is that um, we have two minutes left here, Max? Yeah, they just showed up to Croke Park and just pumped Clare. Like, I mean, it was just. They also delightedly. One of my favorite things that they've done is like punctured the hole. Oh, Derry will win nothing like that in Croke Park, and then they're like, what? So teams who are really good defensively who come through the Ulster Championship, they've, they've got a really bad record in Croke Park, don't they? Be, oh, no, wait, hang on a second. They don't. Let's be fair. No, I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say on Friday morning, I, I said Derry Clare is going to be a lot closer than people expect. I was completely wrong. Completely wrong. I did expect Clare to give Derry a serious rattle. And it was because they went to Croke Park and they beat Roscommon a couple of weeks previous. And I wouldn't necessarily have thought certainly at the outset of the year that Roscommon had that much off Derry so I just thought it was going to be a much better game I did also say though that if Derry get an early goal this could be um, it, it's obviously going to be a Derry win and that's exactly what happened the early goal it's not just the, the volume of goals that Derry are scoring it's the timing of them getting early goals Rory Gallagher just goes absolutely ballistic on the sideline well it's amazing everywhere and yeah. like just uh, like it's ma- it is amazing <laughs> he looked he look like it's it, 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 from it's minute higher one higher and higher and higher and higher how does he follow it up from minute one this championship uh, Derry have looked like they're on a path that is just going to end in them winning the All Irelands. Uh, like I'm, I, I am convinced that the Dublin Kerry side of the draw will not want this team in the final. No, they want Galway. I, I think they do. They want Galway. But at the same, by the same token, I could very much see Galway winning the semi final. The, the one thing I'd be just really concerned about is just the way Armat pumped loads of high ball in on top of that Galway goalkeeper and got massive goal opportunities off it. Derry route one score a lot of goals that could be uh, a perfect storm in a very very bad way for Galway we'll come back to this a little bit later on because we've got Anthony Moyles outside we've got Aaron Kernan coming on a little bit later on so plenty of time to talk about Derry who else is in green Patrick Harrington US Senior Open Champion his first major on the over 50s tour won it last night at Saucon Valley uh, you know walking around the greens fist pumping on his uh, back nine like like things got pretty nervous for him in, in the in the latter stages of, of this tournament he took a five shot lead into the final day ended up winning by one it was Steve Stricker that he beat obviously uh, Stricker getting one over Patrick Harrington as captain of the Ryder Cup last year you could kind of feel that the American golf to- commentators wanted Stricker to win so Harrington you know was uh, the big up yours to, to American golf commentators 720 grand yeah. not bad for a week's work in your 50s yeah not bad I was, I was trying to wonder like how, how is he so nervous when this guy's actually won uh, majors before and I was like oh that, that would make sense when you've got uh, 700 grand on the line so there's only um, four other players who've won the British Open and the US Seniors Open and they're Arnold Palmer Gary Player Jack Nicholas, and Lee Trevino so Paul Carrington joins a pretty exclusive list yeah he didn't think it was uh, possible to further embellish his reputation but it is right that is this week's Gillette Labs performance rankings OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette we're going to talk about the Republic of Ireland against Georgia in the World Cup qualifier uh, just one minute here's Vera Pau talking about how Georgia are apparently now a better team than when we absolutely thrashed them in Dublin last November um, we, we need to see we prepare the, the same way as we did in um, game plan wise uh, as we did at the home game um, because it's the same type of uh, opponent um, they have played a 3-0 <coughs> sorry, against Finland and 4-0 against Sweden in their first game against Sweden. Um, um, we've been analysing the game uh, of Sweden um, and what the difference was between the first and the second game. And it looks like they've been really watching our game before they went into their second game. Um, it's a different style of play and it's, um, 
is a bit similar as we did. Um, so we need to see if we are sharp enough. That is that will be the key, the key thing. Are we sharp enough within our game plan um, to be able to score? Uh, and they will play their their plan, of course, to stop us from scoring and trying to beat us with a break. And they have decent players up front who are fast and can break if we leave space and we will leave space. So it's not only uh, preparation, is not only about uh, scoring goals or getting the first goal uh, on the score sheet, but it is uh, equally how to keep them under pressure so that we cannot be beaten with the space that we leave behind us. Alana Kanan, good morning to you. How are you? We can't hear you. Okay, we'll try and re-establish connection with Alana. That was Vera Pau talking about how Georgia are a better team now. Um, no one's really buying that. I guess it's take a little bit of pressure off the Republic of Ireland tonight when we expect to rack up a big score. Alana, good morning to you. How are you? Good, how are you? What kind of a scoreline should we expect tonight? It's, uh, it, this is brass tacks here from this perspective. Like, What do we need for this to be considered a good performance by Ireland tonight? Yeah, I think it's very interesting. I suppose, understandably, Verapau is kind of trying to play things down there and say it's going to be very different from the last time. Now, obviously, there is some differences in that, you know, they have to play in the heat, which they wouldn't be used to. And uh, there's a lot of players Georgia didn't have the last time we played the due to COVID kind of situation. But, like, in saying that, at the same time, we should still really be racking up uh, a really good scoreline because we shouldn't just be looking for the three points here. We should really be, like, you know, looking to surpass, I think, uh, Finland bet them 3-0 at home. I think that would be the benchmark. Um, Sweden bet them 15-0 at home. So even this rhetoric of the they play a lot better at home, they still do, but they've yet to win a game in the campaign and, yeah, at home too. Somebody who is used to playing in the heat is uh, Denise Sullivan, who obviously plays with uh, North Carolina Courage, where things get pretty hot in the summertime and she's in excellent form at the moment. So she'll come straight back into the team, will she? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's a no-brainer that she'd have to. She's just such... She's one of our best players along uh, alongside uh, Katie McCabe there, obviously. The two of them with the our highest goal tallies for each their name so far in this campaign. But yeah, she's just a brilliant footballer and she is so kind of... Works tirelessly in there. And while she's very technical, she's still able to muscle off a lot of her opponents, which is something um, we kind of need in our team because... While we have a lot of kind of gifted footballers, we need someone to get that hard work done as well. And she can do both. You know, you saw that, especially that Twitter clip that went viral last weekend. Uh, or last week, she had that uh, goal, which was making all the headlines. But there was a lot of intricate play leading up to that, especially even the pass out, um, like building up to it was something people weren't really talking about, I guess, but definitely deserved to be up there as well as like some of her uh, merits that she can display and we'll be hoping to, she brings that into the game tonight as well. well One of the really striking things about the game last November was just how, uh, how ruthless Ireland were, like they really got some joy out of tattooing Georgia 11-0 and uh, there was obviously this kind of like kind of internal competition between Denise O'Sullivan and Katie McCabe with regards to getting player of the match to who would get more goals, Denise ended up with three goals in the night, Katie got two and like you wouldn't be surprised if that's the sort of thing that's in the back of their minds going into tonight where it's like I'm going to outdo you tonight. I'm going to be the one who scores more goals than you tonight. Definitely. And I think uh, there's that bit of rivalry between them, which is brilliant. It only drives everyone on. And I think like the way where it's being played down, as I was saying there, um, while that's still a rhetoric and like we do still need the three points, the goal difference can be will be so vital to us because not so much maybe in this group, but if we were to surpass, I know it's even tempting fair to even saying that, but if we were to surpass 
goal difference and results and how how much the margins were between the teams can really come into play. So yeah, if we're to like set ourselves in good stead uh, for the rest of this group stage and then maybe beyond, we do need to be racking up a great score. And as you say, Kane McCabe and Denise are the, definitely the ones capable of that. We've other players too, though, I guess, like um, I uh, expect Heather Payne will come back into the side. I know she played against the Philippines, but um, I think she was playing kind of a higher up role this time around. And then um, I think Lucy Quinn will start too. Because, yeah, I was just about to ask that because we were having that conversation with uh, Karen on Friday, Karen Duggan on Friday, with regards to what Ireland do in attack. So it'd be the two of them up front. And uh, like I guess the, the question is regarding the, the depth in that position. Do, do you feel that they're guaranteed starters from here on out for, for Vera Pau in the, the Republic of Ireland qualification campaign? I think so. And I actually uh, tuned into what Karen was saying. I completely agree in the fact that, you know, we are a touch light up the forward line. And, um, while we do have immense talent there, we do just kind of need to bolster the ranks a little bit because while like we have Lucy Quinn and Payne and even Amber Barrett there, um, we do need to kind of strengthen up elsewhere because, you know, Stephanie Roach came in the other day and played her first game for Ireland since 2017. And while she's been going really well in the Women's National League, which of course is ever increasing in standard, it's just not really to the same level as obviously some of our other players in the WSL and in major leagues around the world. So like we do need to kind of uh, continuously strengthen up there. So, but I don't think this would be the game to uh, do that. It will be not for a start. It will be when, if we go on to establish a lead, but before that, I think we need to start our best team and kind of see where we go from there. Um, kickoffs at five o'clock. Victory will move us above Finland in second place in the group. The Swedes obviously are top in the group, and uh, you know are definitely going to win the group. So, what do we need in terms of qualification for the rest of the, the, the competition? It's it's a convoluted system, but ideally we're going to end up in a playoff in Australia. Yeah. So obviously we have Finland and Slovakia to come yet. Uh, Finland also have to play our, our, ourselves, and then they have to play Sweden too. So they have two tough games there as well. Um, in that regard, I suppose we did ourselves a favour when we bet Sweden, but Slovakia also did us one when they took points off Finland and um, stopped them getting all three points there. They had a draw there before Christmas. So, yeah, if we finish above um, Finland, that'll be the main goal anyways for a start. But after that, uh, yeah, it gets quite complicated. There's a kind of a, all 10 of the UEFA groups, the second place um, going to uh, two group, you have to play two games, two knockout games, and the teams that get through that, the top two go straight through to the World Cup, and then the third place teams go into a playoff uh, down in uh, Australia and New Zealand just before the tournament actually starts. Yeah, so uh, like if we could make it that far, if you yeah, if we you, kn- you nearly worry about the rest of it then. Exactly. If you can get to Australia and qualify from that tournament, then you'll have been together for a month qualifying. And, you know, you'd like to think that at that stage you're playing like a club team and who knows what could happen. So uh, a lot rests on tonight and those many goals being scored. Alana, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us and clarifying all that for us. Cheers. Thank you. It's uh, Alana Canan there giving us her thoughts on tonight's game. Kickoff is at five o'clock Republic of Ireland time. Um, and OTBA, I'm brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Anthony Moyes is outside. We're talking Gaelic football next. OTB AM 14 minutes past 8 this morning OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day Anthony Moyles is with us Anthony good morning to you how are you gentlemen how are we not much to talk about no no. quite a weekend how we're going to fill this slot to be honest 
Um, you're a bit hoarse. Do you want to tell us about your exploits over the weekend? Uh, well, yeah. What's it, em- it, embellishing I, your credentials for the me job? I hear. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I don't know about that. No, um, I'm helping uh, Leo Turley, who's the former Leash star, uh, and my brother actually aiming out with Kilbride uh, local team. I went to school in Kilbride Primary School, so um, they won the uh, league final yesterday. Right, great. Yeah, yeah. So uh, great win for them. Great win for the parish, as they say. So. Uh, one one guy remarked to me, I think it was his 10th final that he was been in for the last, I think, seven or eight years, and that's the first one he's won. So, right. Uh, good monkey off their back. Ah, look, so, and hence the hoarseness. That's why this matters. That's why yeah. this whole thing matters. Torrential rain. Absolutely. Like, it was biblical yesterday. <laughs> it was actually, like, I mean, I, I watched the games and how difficult it was to hold the ball you know, because it just kept coming down. You know, it just makes the game, it makes it extremely true. Of course, it changes the games completely as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, like, I mean, to be, you, know, you can't really see it from the TV, you know, in Crow Park. You just don't get that sense from it. But Jesus, uh, it was, like, I mean, the weather didn't help or did help, depending on uh, depending on the aspect. But, uh, yeah, that was my, hence my croaky voice. Yeah. Apologies. The, the weather, we haven't talked about that at all, Owen. Like, the games change completely between full-time and extra-time. There was, like, a, a downpour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just before uh, extra time in the first game kicked off, there was really, really bad downpour. Like I got sunburned and I almost got pneumonia yesterday. Like, <laughs> one of those days. Lovely Irish holiday. Yeah, that's that is your typical summer. And that's the thing that probably is the most challenging thing about it is that the players know that it can change mid-game or it can change yeah. from you know the, the Kerry lads walking out into the pitch at halftime of the first game. That pitch is totally different when they go back yeah, out onto it for, for their actual game. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, a complete difference. Um. Uh, how how did Galway feel now, like, and this week? What what are their what are their overriding? <sighs> and they and they coldly analyze what's going on. What do they think? Well, they've issues um, which they need to analyze, and we've highlighted them during the year, which is the issues between the full back line and the goalkeeper especially with anything at all of height that goes in there. From 40 yards out. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's, the ball it's, bouncing. It, 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 it's, it's such a strange thing. I, I get the sense that um, with the way modern teams set up and all the different tactics and getting players back and da da da, I don't know if you do the old in-training, if, if, if there's much concentration on the high ball into the square anymore. You know, there used to be a lot of that. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, there was a lot of that. There was the the whole aspect of, and we've seen it during the year. We saw it, Kildare against Dublin, balls coming back off the post, players being lost, you know, cornerbacks, like, where is my corner forward? Next thing, bang, goal. Um, we've seen numerous occasions of it. We've seen numerous occasions, obviously, then, obviously, of not specific goalkeepers being in goal, right? So even the bit of mayhem there is, can I trust him behind me? Because if you see the first one, Comer kind of calls the goalkeeper, kind of as if he's going to let it go, um, wants him to come get it, and then there's the confusion of it. Now, look, it happens. It's 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 a it's a moment that um, can cause obviously mayhem. But Armagh obviously said to themselves, "Listen, there's a chink in the armor here. I'm surprised they didn't do it earlier." To be honest with you, I'm surprised they didn't tro- try to throw a few in, even in the first half. And with Donahue's experience on the sideline, like he'd be saying, "Listen, we can we can we can work a few of these." He's obviously has loads of armory where they obviously did them. In Kerry, you know how to get the ball in, when to get the ball in at those opportune times. So, but you could see the absolute pandemonium in the Galway defence when the ball went in. Like whatever about the first one, then the second one was just complete, just brain farts all over the place. Like I mean, guys, just the goalkeeper gets it. He should have kicked it 
into the stand yeah. and instead tries to hand pass it out with a guy with his back to him it gets spilled um, and you know apart from the equaliser then I'm thinking to myself and saying that's goal we done that's goal we done and then the row happens and I'm like actually that's not goal we done that's going now in the ascendancy here because straight away they're feeling aggrieved. They're feeling, you know, that the justice has gone against them here. So from a situation where they should have been down the dumps, armagh, full of pomp, full of um, enthusiasm, motivation to come out in a second, then Galway are now kind of looking at themselves um, and obviously it, it, it switches. I do think they have an issue there, Ger. I do think they need to look at it. Kelly from fullback, hopefully he will get back in, um, but they're not the biggest of a fullback line. You know, they're not, they're, not, they're not really dominant in that area. You know, they don't come and claim balls. There is a bit of a hesitancy and I also think what they do, which is a very, very poor thing, um, they, a little bit of I'm not saying it's fear but a little bit of hesitancy comes into their game and a bit of well we'll try to manage this out and they drop back and they allow teams come at them well we were just talking about this so the, the, like uh, in this season alone there's loads of evidence of them coughing up late scores now against Roscommon it didn't we were yeah. like oh that doesn't matter but it, it does matter it turns out that they adopt a style of play that invites the opposition on and they're not good enough just yet to be able to to do that they're not Dublin, the five in a row Dublin team who were able to manage games out. So I don't know. Is the answer just keep pushing on? You have to keep pushing on. So so if you if you're if if the if the if the, if the character of the team or the personality of a team is is that we are a front foot team that likes to pressure the ball, that likes to get the ball, control the ball, and do things that are because Galway Galway makes it up lovely. You know, they're, I mean, they're the traditional type of catch, kick, play. You know, lovely forwards go at it. You know, be on the front foot, be out in front. You'd never look at them and go, oh, they're a controlling team. You'd never put control in the same breath. In a, say, if you were to say top three attributes that Galway are, you'd never say, yeah, nice and controlled. You know, they'll grind you down. Galway don't do that. Galway either blitz you or, you know, things could go, the wagon could completely come off for themselves. So I think in those moments where they're trying to control the game, it's completely alien to them. They actually don't know. So what happens is, Fear comes into your mindset, and instead of being out in front of a player, you now take a step back. Instead of a guy pushing up, he takes a step back. And we're kind of like, oh no, we're set here. You know, we're in a defensive shape. But all of a sudden, there's holes everywhere. And when it's responsibility time, i.e., high ball, well, I'm actually going to go claim that. It's me calling you, it's your ball, it's your ball. And you're like, oh. and next thing, bang, someone comes in and gets a fist on it, or whatever it is. And there's been iterations of that over the years with teams who try to change their style which I think is embedded in them for a long time it's 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 their unique character you know um, and I don't think Cowick Cowick can do that and Joyce needs to kind of say it is difficult like when you're seven points up now with seven or eight minutes to go you're kind of thinking this is in the bag here lads we see it out I was actually going to go out and cut the grass and then I was like I just better watch this just in case yeah but but there's but but as you say Roscommon this year, it has happened. I'm sure if you were going back over tape, you would probably have seen that it has happened over the last number of years. So it's it's there, and it is something that they're going to... It's happening as Mayo, didn't it? Yeah, like, I mean, to, to a degree, later on, like, Correct. Mayo had a, had a late rally. Yes. Sorry, yeah. points. Yeah. So, you know... I'm sure they've spoken about it and of course it could be the big massive elephant in the room and they're kind of going do we do we actually kind of really 
go at this situation? Do we try to find a way around it as a group of players and a management team? Or do we deny it? And do we kind of say it's not really there and we're okay? I think you're better off grasping it and saying, listen, okay, this is, and this is what we're going to do to get around it. And personally, I think the way to do it is, is that they have to up the work rate even in those seven or less. Like, I mean, kind of a la Dublin in their pomp. Those last 15 minutes, Dublin killed you. Like any team that was even neck and neck, the 15 minutes or 12 minutes ago, bang, next thing. And even coming into nearly extra time, you were like, we're actually still on a point or two in this. Next thing you're beaten by six. And you're kind of going, how did that happen? So they never, they never retreated. They actually, as a matter of fact, went, went for the juggler completely. That's the negatives, right? The positives are that uh, a bunch of players who were their kind of second tier of players are now actually genuine first tier players and that some of their first tier players can improve. Like, um, Shane Walsh gave a very Shane Walsh performance where moments of absolute brilliance. Obviously, clearly targeted, took a kick to the Achilles in the first half, which, you know, I, and then kicked the free with the with the injured ankle. You're like, well, Jesus, that's... Uh, yeah. Not, anyway, uh, so maybe maybe he'll be fully fit the next time and maybe he won't get targeted as, as ruthlessly. I mean, of course he will. Of course he will get as ruthlessly targeted in the next game. And it may well be Chrissy McKay who, who he's playing, who has been the mm-hmm. best man marker in the country this year. So I, I don't know if there's much room for improvement from him, but like, will they get more from their, their more marquee players? And then are they also very confident about the fact that they've come through the ultimate street fight? I think if your marquee players are doing just what you said they'll do, i.e. they're 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 a little bit over break even. In other words, they're doing at their high level and they're getting they're staying at that. You don't want them having obviously, obviously stinkers, but then it is a time and often in games which have massive importance, such as the games at the weekend, it are it is the second, it is the B squad, it's the guys who aren't the household names that that pull it out of the bag for you and come and actually take the game by the scruff of the neck. Um, midfielder's name has, has, has slipped my mind. Um, McDade, like. The goal, if you watch his movement on the goal prior to him even getting the ball, he's up around the far forward line. He's kind of sneaking in the back. He's kind of seeing if this breaks down or if I get a ball in the side. So he's already thinking about it. One of the Armour players goes back and, and tags him. So he comes back around through the centre. The ball comes over to the left-hand side and then he's gone. And you can see the Armour number four after the goal. See him putting his hands on his head because he just let him go. He just took his eye off for a sec. So he never, he never doubted himself, ever. He said to himself, this is going to come back into me. The finish was top-notch and the and score after it was just like that's a guy who's full of confidence well able to because he actually has his hand up for ages going give me the ball give me the ball gets it only has one thing in his mind because you're thinking he's going to shift this on there's two Armagh players around him he goes around I, I can't remember the last guy I think Jamar Hall sticks it over the bar at the right foot but what you're looking at is you're looking at fellas at those moments Chair. All of those guys have to step up, and they did. Tierney, you know, different guys st- stood up and said, no, actually, I'll take the mantle on. So I've often, not that I've questioned Galway's steel um, or their character, but over the last number of years, there has always been, I think, an over-reliance on the, the three amigos, shall we say, right? You know, the Comer, Conroy, and, 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 and Walsh. And there's always been this thing of, well, if you stop them, you, you should be in the game. But yesterday... Or if they're injured, we have an excuse. Correct. Yeah, there has. And and then it was always kind of, we're going to solidify the defence, which Kevin Walsh tried, you know, and then once we get the ball up to the boys, they'll do what they always do. Now, the thing was that if you put an X on one of those, they were screwed. Yeah. They pretty much won the game. Now they've, now they've, 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 they've fellas who have the ability, obviously the confidence, um, and they have the desire now to, to, to win games for them. So, but their steal yesterday was phenomenal. Now, 
what do I mean by steel? Well, the sucker punches of the goals, right, and then the equaliser. I don't know how there would have been an extra time if the row didn't happen. I don't. I don't know where their mindset would have been. But our ma, I for my me, I don't think our ma helped themselves at all. How did, how did the initiative back to Galway? I think so. And I think when Galway went in, as I said, they felt aggrieved. You saw Kelly with the the, the, the incident. Mm. You can imagine the dressing room. They were hopping off each other to get out there and prove a point again. Um, so from a dressing room which would have been like desolation, heads down, it would have looked like a you know. A, a, just fellas buried all over the place. It now was a dressing room where you can imagine guys were going around hitting each other in the chest saying, we're not going to let this happen today. So um, their steel, their ability to go, even in that kind of time in the second half where, you know, Armagh looked like they were coming back. I, I, I never felt, I thought Galway in, in, in full time should have won the game and, and should have won it well. Um, and But there's definitely... You know, it's amazing when you look at that side of the draw because I think if one or two of those teams had been in the other side of the draw, I think Kerry would have been in trouble from the performance yesterday and maybe not Dublin as well. Like, I think the two boys should be sitting back saying, thank Jesus for the draw and how it went this year because, you know, Derry go or uh, Galway or Ma was just... And, and, and no one wants to get Derry at this stage. No. No, nobody wants to get there. We were saying that um, both Dublin and Kerry will be cheering Galway on, going, oh, we can deal with that. With yeah. Derry, we're just not sure what will happen. There's an, there's an unbelievable... like Every single player on that Derry team is playing with 100% knowledge of their role, 100% knowledge of their role within the team, <clears throat> and 100% confidence that they can actually change their role, <laughs> which is so scary. You know, they're not... So they're not pigeonholed into I am a cornerback who runs to a certain point and then I hand it off I am a this who goes there every single one of them are doing something different every single game and you're kind of going jeez I didn't realise he had that like McInnes comes up yesterday you know, we saw it in the Ulster Championship but he gets onto the ball he shoulders the clear man out of the way sticks it in the back of the net and just watch him he's straight back he's organising the defence they all talk to each other. The communication is unbelievable. There's never any sense of panic in their, in their defence. There's never a sense of panic. There's never that sense of panic that you saw with Galway. There's just unbelievable control. They're so tactically aware. They're so aware of, the, as I said, their own job and each other's job that they're so easy to pass players on. You see Connor Glass, now I'm on this guy, now you come here, you take him, I move over here. Um, so, like... Clare weren't great, okay. Uh, you know they were. They, there was a bit of a feel of a bit of a of a, of a of a kind of a challenge match feel at the start because Clare just couldn't lay a glove on them. But was that because of Derry's width and speed, or was it just you know Clare's just weren't at the at, at the pitch of it? But um, they're ruthless. They did a job and they needed to do it. Could they have kicked on and got even more scores? Absolutely. And the thing is, we will be accused of overrating their performance against a Clare team who are a Division Two team, but they've done this against Division One teams. They did it against the All Ireland champions in uh, an Ulster Championship tie. Granted, Tyrone weren't having the best season, but they were able to do exactly the same thing. Like, um, so I, I think uh, Derry are real contenders at this point. Just want to. Michael Casey says Killian McDade has been outstanding all year, lads. He's no B player, as you say. He's a big unit and is having a fantastic year. That wasn't the point. We weren't saying he was a B player. We're saying that like no. there's that top tier of Galway footballers who the expectation level is at. But if that next tier come through and start doing what uh, McDade did, for example, yesterday, then that's a massive surge forward for them where suddenly he's one of those players James Dunn has been talking on the football pod about Croke Park players if he's a Croke Park player then that's a game changer like and Galway Galway absolutely Galway have two things flakiness and arrogance and it's mad that these two things coexist the way they do uh, kind of split personality but when the when the arrogance clicks on we've seen what 
you know, you scratch the Galway footballers and they all believe they're the best footballers in the country. Mm. Like, and they have had teams who come and just pff, get to Croke Park and go, yeah, we can kick points from the touchline. We can Literally. kick points from the halfway line. But we like, can score the greatest goal that's ever been seen in Croke Park. No big deal. Well, oh one, you go back to the O one team. You know, they they had their marquee, like they had, you know, Donlan. They had those big, big players, Joyce and Savage. But then they had an unbelievable backup support. Yeah, like an unbelievable backup support. Yeah. Who went and won those games for them? By the way, you know, because most teams had enough players to, as I say, put an X on the main guys. So you say, right, just make sure that you know Donlan remembering that all are in the final. You know, there was a lot of concentration from us of obviously stopping him. Um, but then there's fellas popping up everywhere, you know. So you can't you can't close all the you know stop all the gaps, and that's what yesterday showed for me that they have that ability now. And I think the last number of years they didn't really have that. Now, uh, sorry, it's not that the, the the personnel has changed much, but I think the attitude and the confidence has changed much. That these guys are willing to take it on, willing to take the shots, willing to back themselves. Because some of the scores that they got yesterday, even around that 45 to 60 minute period, they weren't easy scores. Like They weren't handy scores. They were outside of the right boot. They were on the run. There was lots of Armagh players. They were good, good scores. Yeah. They were scores that Mayo couldn't execute. Yeah. That they executed, you know. So, um, it, as I say, it was all scores under pressure, and that's that's by the way, that's backing yourself. That's not looking. Oh, where's Shane Walsh? Where's you know? Where's Comer? I have to hand the ball over to him. No, no, I'm going to do this myself. So it's not. That's not a slight at all, as we said uh, on them. But it's just. It just means that they're much more equipped. Um, I think in the where last couple of years. Okay. Uh, oh, and I haven't asked you this yet. What's the truth about Kerry? Where are Kerry? I think that they were poor yesterday, weren't they? Like I, I think it was a six out of ten performance, and they still won pulling up, which is very, very encouraging. I wouldn't be overly worried about you know that performance manifesting itself against Dublin. I think that they will be absolutely on it for Dublin. Um, like I think it's uh, this semi final weekend. Like this is going to be absolutely fantastic stuff. The cost of a toss of a coin really between both of these games, you suggest, and I think that's going to be the case for Kerry Dublin. If Conor Callan doesn't play, though, Kerry win. I think is well, would you, probably be how you, the, you the don't think he is going to play. I, I, like, I think just because we're in such a, a small season and uh, the recovery time is, is so short, like you'd, you'd even have worries about Clifford being hobbling off yesterday, mm. making that game. Khan didn't even play, uh, so you'd have a greater concern about him potentially making that game. And I think that Dublin absolutely need their forwards on the pitch to try and cause Kerry any sort of problems because they're just not giving up chances at the moment. And uh, I think that's the most encouraging thing from their perspective. There's also like loads of other mini storylines around Kerry yesterday, like David Moran playing 80 minutes, yeah. like out of nowhere. Like that was that was the big talking point beforehand. Was like no Adrian Spillane, no Jack Barry. Middle third is threadbare. All of a sudden, David Moran, you're you're not going to get 80 minutes out of him, so he's going to be coming off after 50 minutes, and then all of a sudden, it's it's half an hour into the legs of Joe O'Connor, Stefan O'Connor. And David Moore just plays the full game and plays really well, and yeah. like that's like that, that's a really important uh, element of it all. And Paul Ganey has just been has just yeah like, had a, had a glittering year actually, uh, despite the fact that late in the league it looked like his place was going to be lost to Tony Brosnan. So uh, I I wouldn't be buying the whole if anybody's playing down Kerry's chances too much on the, the back of yesterday. They weren't great, but they weren't pulling up while not being great against against a Division One team, right? Like the Dubs beat Cork handy. I think Kerry beat Mayo handier, in a way. I think when they wanted to just put the foot on the throttle, they did. You know, when they wanted to show that extra st- class and just step inside and make sure of a score or potentially look to open them up, they 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 could do it. Um, 
So it's it's a strange one. It looked like a challenge game. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of focusing everything and kind of gauging everything against the Yarmouth go again, which is very hard to think to do because the, the pitch of that was unbelievable. The excitement, you know, the the, the ferocity of it, the intensity of it. Oh, so, so the stadium emptied out. Like, yeah, yeah, the stadium emptied out. You know, the, the sound level just went, yeah. you know, and, and there was the old, you could hear the seagulls going around again. And I was like, oh, here we go. You know, this is just shocking bad. The fair on the pitch didn't help it now, to be honest with yeah. you. Because I, I honestly, I was kind of looking. I was, it was, it was. It, there wasn't the same intensity levels. There definitely wasn't. I thought it was going to ignite at some stage. There just wasn't. Kerry just managed the situation. I think the Kerry defence was solid again. You know, they didn't bar the Kevin McLaughlin chance. They didn't really give up a, a, a goal opportunity. Again, Morley doing the plus one. Very, very solid, really good coming forward. Like, you know, a lot of uh, um, attacking prowess, obviously, from O'Sullivan and, and White and the rest and O'Buglick. But I thought their forward line was completely all over the place. You know, I. I the, the plan was, anyway, that in the first quarter of the game, like just the long direct balls into Clifford repetitively. Repetitively. You know, and I'm kind of going, like, should he have played Clifford? You know, like, you know, for me, I'm kind of going, if he wasn't 100% right, well, then you're kind of going, no, because it completely takes. And then if you are going to play him, why kick him in these really horrible hanging balls up in the air that a defender can attack and really come through the back of you? You know, well, give him nice little dainty balls out in front that he can get and he can shift them on if he wants or take them on. But I was kind of looking going, it was nearly like they were trying to prove his fitness. It was was a really weird thing. Um, And... You know, I think they would have had enough for Mayo, and I really think if 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 he's gone for the semi final, I think it was a bit of a bad judgment error. They, I think they should have held him back and given him the extra couple of, bit of time, um, because we we questioned it last week with Mayo. Ultimately, it came back again to have Mayo the forwards up front to kick the scores, and they didn't. As soon as they lost a couple of more lads, you were really struggling. You were going into the depths of the panel. And you can only... Like, teams will say, well, it doesn't really matter who gets the scores. Well, it does matter who gets the scores because if you're attacking from a defence and the likes of Keegan are done, those guys are coming with the ball on a second wave or a third wave. So, in other words, the Kerry defence is already set. It's going to be very, very difficult to get a goal from that situation. Someone in your defence has to make a mistake or something unbelievably good has to happen. But if you have the forwards up front who can win a ball, turn, quick pass, whatever, take them on, just like the Clifford goal, for example. Well, now you're in a different situation. So in other words, it can be quick ball up front and let that forward do his thing. It's not a wave. It's not a kind of a, you know, this is this is a one against one situation or one against two or two against two and anything can happen. And there's that sense of danger. And when you look at it, and I'll go back to the Derry situation for a second, Derry did not have to deal with inside forwards at all against Clare. Right, Derry will have to deal with that now against Galway. So Derry kind of changed their style yesterday, and they put more, much more fellows forwards up the pitch, um, and they kind of took ch- chances against Clare. I'd say rightly they were probably saying to themselves, "We have enough for Clare, so we're going to slightly change things. We're going to put more fellows up front." In fairness, Roy Gallagher explained in detail that they'd played them a couple of times. They knew that there was going to be issues around midfield for them, so they just pushed everybody up, and there was no yeah. point. And Clare were going to play with a man withdrawn, so they would have had a spare man at the back mark, and nobody. They just pushed him up, and it was yeah. game over from the exactly. echo. Game like, over. Exactly, and they didn't have to worry about Longo so in behind. So all they did was again, they just made sure that everything was there. They didn't have to worry about anything in behind. They will not have that the next day. So that's going to be, again, a different kind of challenge for them is in how do, in, in Crow Park, all of a sudden now the pitch gets a lot bigger. Okay. But going back to Kerry Mayo, I, I, like Paddy Clifford, I haven't seen Paddy Clifford as bad yeah. in a long time. Nice. Jeez, I, I, I was kind of looking for it. You know, he, I, I don't think he touched the ball for the first 14 minutes of the game. 
Like, I was looking going, where is he? Like, where is he actually on the pitch? And I was saying to myself, okay, he's definitely being tagged by Keegan. But then it wasn't really Keegan was getting on the ball. Um, I thought Moynihan is okay, but he doesn't really... He buzzes around a lot, but he wasn't really doing a whole pile. Ganey was good, you know, and I think he held it. Stephen O'Brien did as usual, but there's definitely something. I was kind of saying to myself, Jesus, Kerry, and is it that, what was it, 12 weeks? Is it that long duration of time where you're just bouncing balls off against each other uh, and you're trying to find challenge matches and you're just you're just not at it you know you're just not at it and you could see by them that they just weren't at it and fortunately for them I think they're coming in against a team who really just weren't at it either now both of them will raise their game of course for each other um, but I think they're still blessed that they haven't met one on the other side yeah because the other teams for me are in fifth gear full throttle Everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah, there's, there's cuts and bruises. There's oh. bandages all over. Whereas the other lads are kind of coming in. It's, it's kind of. I can't remember that Rocky movie, but they're coming in. They're kind of. They're getting massaged. They're kind of taking the 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 old robe off. They're ready to go. Whereas the other lads are half dead, you know. But they're like they're battle hardened. Yeah, you know. Well, it'll be interesting to see when the final happens. If this semi final between Dublin and Kerry is enough to get the two of them up to the pitch, where because the, whoever wins that game is going to automatically be favourites. Just through the weight of history and with everything but actually maybe the, the right thing to do is to come through the the hard the, the battle hardened path um, Owen thinks Clifford's out right that's what he thinks he's, he's going to miss um, the semi-final that sorry not Clifford Con, Con, Owen thinks Con's out uh, oh, Callan. <laughs> definitely the buzzer was going off there again <laughs> sorry, it's, uh, the Yara buzzer uh, no he doesn't think Clifford's out he thinks Clifford's going to play yeah 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 he thinks Clifford's going to play but okay. Con won't does that shift the game automatically in Kerry's favour? I think Con and James McCarthy uh, are two enormous losses. So they're two out of your five or six. Like if you're writing down the team tomorrow as Desi Fry, you're, you're normally jotting those two guys down and Fenton and a few others and you're saying, right, that's my spine. And now there's two gone. And I really don't care who you... I thought Dublin up front looked light. I thought Costello was poor his first game all year where he wasn't great. I think Cork had enough to do man-marking jobs and certain fellas. Um, and they put it up to them for a period of time. I think, again, they, they, they were prone to um, bad freeze against Kerry. Remember, you know, fouling very, very stupidly in those just frantic fouls in that kind of D area. And again, they got caught again with that being over enthusiastic and like rock kicked or whatever 10 frees or 10 points 9 frees yeah. so um, they looked hit and miss Dublin they looked you know kind of caught between are we running are we kicking are we are we really intense levels this is their this is their all in quarter final this is their performance this is what they do they just yeah. they just win the game early they realise okay there's no threats here that we're going to be in any significant danger over the course of the game we'll just do the percentage yeah. thing the whole way through and so I don't know the truth about them but those missing players are absolutely they're, they're massive and, and I think also the fact of Dublin love goals um, you know I was kind of laughing with a pal of mine I was saying they, they seem to um, practice their point kicking against Mead their goal kicking against Kildare um, and then a bit of maybe just yesterday was just kind of let's go back with uh, obviously our kick point but I think they're going to they're going to struggle for goals against Kerry like they, they will if the Kerry defence continue to do what they're able to do and if O'Callaghan is not there because what O'Callaghan does provide them is he provides them that straight ball that long ball where he can just go up cause mayhem grab it and bring fellas in 
in. They don't really have that. Dean Rock's not going to necessarily give that. that. Costello's not going to get Costello's buzzing around the edge, looking for those little loopy passes. Paddy Small was okay, but I don't think he's exactly. He's not Conor Callahan. Okay, so that fulcrum right there of the get out of jail, the long ball if required, you know, the quick, the, you know, the, the quick kick out from Comerford turn, bang, straight ball into it. That's not there anymore. And that's the type of thing that I think you need to do to unlock that Kerry defence. I think once that Kerry defence is set now, a la Derry, they're very, very safe in their own knowledge. They're very, very safe. They know exactly where they're going and they're not giving up those chances too handy. So I think Dublin will struggle. So it's going to be what will Kerry get at the far end against the Dublin defence and I thought Merchant had a tough time against Hurley you know I, I'm not I'm not mm. convinced Cooper did well as that sweeper um, but again it's a Division 2 team yeah, yeah. it hasn't got the, the prowess obviously of the carry forwards Just, uh, like on that like there was definitely a couple of moments in the second half of the, the Mayo game yesterday where you were like Where's Morley? Like he was excellent yesterday, but there is a possibility that Dublin can drag him out of position. I think there was just a couple of occasions yesterday where it looked like Mayo had achieved that. And also, we talk about goalkeepers under the high ball. Like Shane Ryan under the high ball has been uh, something that's given Kerry fans uh, very, very like big palpitations mm. because of his temptation to punch the ball rather than catch the ball, and that's a recurring habit that happens. So Con is doubly important on that front given the, the direct option he gives like I'd put it to you is Conor Callaghan more important to Dublin than David Clifford is to Kerry he possibly is you know he, I, th- I think that that's it's the importance of that question or otherwise goes missing because of the hype around Clifford and also that O'Callaghan has been a, a, a cog in the wheel of this superpower over the last number of years but I think when you remove him out um, I think they could become a much lesser team than when he's in. Now that's a very obvious, but he 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 gives you he gives you everything that they don't like. If you look over the last number of years, when they have needed that powerhouse and that option of a goal, just someone who's just going to get a goal, he's just going to get the ball, he's going to go right at you, he's going to fire you away, and he's going to stick it in the back of that because he never he doesn't he doesn't go for handy points, he doesn't tip them over the bar. His his ruthlessness in there and his directness and everything about him, his strength and da da da. Just gives you everything. And you can see Kilkenny then doesn't have to do that, if you get me. You know, Kilkenny and the rest of them, they can kind of go, he'll look after that. We can do our thing. But I think when he's missing, someone else has to step up. And they do have to slightly change, you know, mm-hmm. to accommodate other kind of styles. So he, he quite possibly is uh, uh, owned. But, uh, like, it definitely, it, it's... You know, whether, whether both of them start or both of them don't start, um, whoever, if, if Con is gone, it's, it's, you would have to think that it's advantage Kerry mm. for me. Yeah, I, hard to disagree with that. Kerry are slight favourites with the bookmakers and Derry are slight favourites with the bookmakers as things stand. So we're headed for a Kerry Derry All Ireland final, uh, according to the bookies. Yeah, like I mean, I, 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 I still think Derry have done an amazing job. Um, Gallagher will will do well now to bring them down after this game. Um, you know, I heard McGuigan being interviewed after, and he was kind of saying, "Oh, people were kind of saying stuff about their forward units." I don't know who was saying that, but anyway, he was kind of saying. Darrell Shea was saying, wasn't he? That they weren't, they wouldn't be able to win like this. There was definitely a, a, was there. There okay. was definitely talk okay. out there yeah. that oh, yeah. Derry. Yeah. I think did Spillane not have a, a go that. This is terrible football. I, I, the usual. Yeah, the usual. So yeah, yeah. So everyone plays with fourteen men behind the ball. But I mean, you know. But that's look. We we know that argument. But so I don't think anyone. But certainly we never we never question their forward prowess. They have enough to to really hurt you. Um, and but 
it is a different game for them. I don't think they have come across... Because look, look at the games they've played, right? So they've played, obviously, an awful lot of Ulster teams. Um, they they haven't met a team yesterday, or thus far, who have that forward capability is going. Who have the guys who can kick points. Who have the opportunity to go early, go hard. Who have the guys who will stay inside. They'll play two to three up, and they'll say, right, we're going to... Now, do they have the backs? But it takes... A, it, it completely... What's it, does Rogers end up going back in full back properly? So does he go in there beside Chrissy McCaig? Absolutely. But now they're going to do defending. Now, they can do it, but they're not just... Like, look at Donegal. Once McCaig put a kind of an X on McBurty, they were kind of saying, we're set here. You know, even when Murphy... Like, I mean, Murphy came in, Rogers picked up Murphy. There wasn't a whole pile. Galway are different ones now. You know, you're, you're putting fires out all over the place. That half-back line that they have are going to do a lot, a lot less going forward. They're going to do more stuff going back towards their own goal. So it's a different proposition for them. We, we uh, unusually on the show, haven't spent all our time talking about Mayo with you. Um, is that Mayo team finished? Is that the end of the road for this... This Like, I'm saying that golden generation... There was the bang of that England getting hammered by Germany when they couldn't quite work out how to make Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard play together and they never did and that was the end. And this felt like an end, like a full stop. It's funny, you know, we spoke about the atmosphere of the game earlier on. You know, I wasn't at the game but I just, I just even just watching the, the body language of the players after, it looks like it was. It's funny, you know, you can... Sometimes in a, in a team... You know, there's there's just a kind of a natural end to it. You know, I don't. I think Horan even has probably, if he was being really honest, which he obviously will be over the next while. I think he'd say to himself, "I've, I've, I've. It's a new voice. It's I've done it as much as I can." I think they were they were always struggling a bit this year. You know, they were always kind of there was injuries, there was different stuff, and that's all fine. But I just don't think the the, the energy was in the team. They did not seem to be the same type of a unit. Um, as I said, after the game, I could see a lot of abject faces. There was no one really... It was kind of like, yeah, okay. It's about time someone just put a bullet in us. There you was, know, uh, I got that sense. There was a moment in the second half where Killian O'Connor was trying to score a point and it was like leaking off horribly to the left and Dermot runs as fast as he can to try and get it in. And last year in the All-Ireland semi-final, he, yeah. he made that incredible thing that got the whole crowd. Ah, he's got the ball in. Yeah. Couldn't keep it in this year. It was just like, they didn't have the same sense of mission or whatever about the team this year that they had last year and that that might just be an All-Ireland final defeat hangover where you realise that like if the penalty goes the other side of the post we're the ones who get that little bit of dander up and away we go I don't know it's like it's hard for anybody to come back from an All-Ireland defeat like that I think it is and I think you know there's a lot of fellas with mileage on the clock there you know you look at McLaughlin O'Shea Keegan there's fellas with big miles on the clock over the last kind of seven, eight, nine, ten years um, I think you know, it's it's probably time for a new breed, um, and I mean that in in every sense, both player wise, management wise. I think it's time for some new ideas. I think there's probably rumblings. I think they feel that um, you know there's a there's a, a change required, as in the style of play that they have. I don't necessarily agree with that, but what I just feel is is that it is. You could sense from it that they kind of once once the the, the shot started to go awry, there was no. If you look if you look at even the, some of the scores that they missed, it was all very individual stuff. You know, there was no kind of real sense of interplay. There was no kind of real sense of a team here really striving for. And there was no even kind of like, come on, like I mean, fellas going over and trying to g each other. But it was like, oh, another wide. 
you know, it was just, uh, well, it, it was, it, it was a, there was a total feeling of inevitability. And there shouldn't have been, by the way, because they did enough chances in that second half. They'd more than enough of the ball. They'd more than enough chances. Um, but there just wasn't. Can you fix that, like, though? Can you fix it? Because it doesn't, like, we've been watching Mayo kick wides all our lives. <laughs> can you fix it? Yes, you can fix it. Um, but, you know, and, and this is not an excuse, but you have to get the, the forwards on the field who can kick. Like, there's not, again, if, if, if you're sitting down there and you're the carry management or wherever it is and you're looking at the six forwards who start, you're kind of saying, right, once we take this one and this one out, are we going to see the scores coming from elsewhere? Mm, you know, we might get a couple chipped in here there, but you're kind of saying, yeah, we're happy enough here. Um, and... To have, I, I go back to what we discussed a couple of weeks ago. To have, when you have six or eight players back like like Kerry have, you need fellas who are going to take risks. You need fellas who are going to run hard, do something, but then also have the ability to score. Um, and Kerry were quite happy to have them out there taking their shots because they weren't going to kick 20, 22 points to beat Absolutely them. Absolutely not. So uh, Andy Morans had a brilliant introductory to his first year in county management. Is he the natural successor, and does it happen now? Is it too soon, or like because he might be able to come in and convince those lads who are the old soldiers to go one more tur- time, but also use them as subs, and suddenly you've depth. Yeah, he might. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, is it is it that he's too close to those guys over the last year? You know, and relationships, and it's it's a hard thing to do. You know, you're going in and maybe you're dropping your buddy. You know, so like I mean, you need fellas who are going to buy into all that, and all of those guys would have to say, yeah, I have no problem sitting on the bench for sixty five minutes of ma- every match and coming on for the last five or ten. They might do it for him in a way they wouldn't do it for somebody else. They might, they might, absolutely. Um, and d- do those guys still have it in the tank? Absolutely. They take a break now. They can come back and get reinvigorated. I, I'm, I'm not so sure about what's coming through. There wasn't anything really standing out at me. I think a lot of people bemoan the forwards, but I haven't really seen a massive amount. The defence has been solid, um, and but they're still very reliant on the likes of Keegan. You know, to come up, and even yesterday, you know, he took a few shots to the outside of the boot. Sometimes they go over, and I all of a sudden the crowd, in a yeah. couple of few, just don't go. Yeah. Um, they look great when there. they do, and when they don't, it's kind of like it just peters out, you know. And that's the whole. I think the whole performance and their whole year was just. It was kind of like a, it was symbolic of that. It just yeah. petered out, yeah. and I think then James is right. Like you know, like James is not a very kind of. Um, he's not a, an excitable type of fella. In other words, he's very measured, you know, and he'd be measured when he wins and he's measured when he loses. Um, but I think if he probably sits back, he says to himself, you know what, I, I'm probably, there. It, it, it was a hard, because I can imagine the year they've had when you have different knocks coming at you um, and Mayo people and there's, they're down there and there's a lot of stuff going on about finances and everything else. We won't even go there, but there's a lot of darts being thrown. And I'd say he, he looked even tired to me yesterday. He looked like a fellow who was just saying, you know, I've had enough of this. Yeah, I can see. I, look, I, I think he's been brilliant for Mayo. I think he's, he, yeah. he was in charge for the team that put it up to Dublin, who were the greatest team of all time. We have to give Absolutely. them credit for that. So if he decides to go, um, he'll be a big loss, but, um, mm-hmm. it, there is, for the first time I think a live candidate to, to come in and go and invigorate everybody yeah. and, and get that get that crowd back you know because it, it seemed like um, for whatever reason there was just a bit of a disconnect between them Anthony good stuff thanks a million no bother, lads. OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day it is 8.53 now Golf Weekly is heading to Colleen Castle on Tuesday July the 5th 
We've got a brilliant day lined up. Peter Laurie Golf Clinic, live podcast recording, food prizes, and of course, a round of golf at the brilliant Colleen Castle Golf Weekly. Golf Days are exclusive events for friends of the pod. So what are you waiting for? Sign up now at otbsports.com forward slash golf weekly. Here's Andy Farrell admitting he's not overconfident after Ireland's recent success over New Zealand. Does uh, coming here after last year's win give you a bit more confidence, I guess? Um, I won't say confidence because because every, every time you take up a um, you put the Irish shirt and there's always an element of nerves and you know and hope we can perform and, and, and be as good as we were then. But you know, in reality, the boys know that that's not going to be good enough uh, this time round neither. We know what we're coming up, up against. Um, we know that it's a different kettle of fish. Eden Park first up. We know how uh, special that place is to, to the All Blacks, etc. So it's great for us, though. It's great, you know. We um, we want to see ourselves uh, under extreme pressure and how, how we deal with that. So therefore, you know, it's it's, it's good all round. Mm. Last time um, the Irish toured New Zealand, I think, was in 2012. Probably a lot of your players were probably still in school then. Um, <laughs> what does that? I guess, how does that make you feel touring with, I guess, such a young, fresh side who haven't come here before? Well, there's some people that were involved there, so there's a few scars from that tour as well, you know. But um, you know, we're lucky enough that there's a few guys that came here with the Lions in 2017. But I think that tells the story of of the challenge ahead as well. I think. Um, you know, I, I think the the moral of the story back home after the Lions series draw was one of success, you know, and that was the best of the best uh, touring the, these shows. So uh, you can see what type of task it is for for little old Ireland, you know. So, um, but having said that, um, challenges are there to make us better, make us stronger, um, and we've got to be ready to meet those head on. Right, it's 8.55. Alan Quinlan, good morning, good night, good evening to you. How are you? Morning, lads. I'm not there yet, Chair. I'm still tomorrow morning, so uh, I'm still still, still in Ireland at the moment. Right, very good. Well, the breaking news overnight is that it's going to be uh, Ireland against Joe Schmidt this weekend because uh, COVID has ripped through the coaching ticket of New Zealand and Joe Schmidt has been seconded in. I mean, you know, he just happened to be around and ready to go. This is... Um, <laughs> For some Irish rugby fans, this is stuff a nightmare. It's like, oh God, he knows exactly what oh, we're going to incredible. do. It's incredible, isn't it? Um, you know, Joe wasn't supposed to come in and get involved with the All Blacks until after the tour, and now he's in there this week because of because of COVID. Ian Foster, I think their defence coach John Plumtree is gone as well. A couple of players, Havili and and Jack Goodhue as well. So. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy and ironic, isn't it? Uh, I think Joe was supposed to come back to Ireland for a, a short break um, during the first and second test and be back out there for the third test. Uh, but now he's... Uh, I don't know what the, what his plans are now, but having him back involved this week is uh, makes it a little bit more tricky and certainly makes it more interesting, doesn't it? Well, it's really tasty for the New Zealanders because that coaching ticket was under pressure after what Ireland and France in particular did to them last November. So there was... There was a possibility that if the tour went tits up, that Schmidt would have been the coach for the World Cup. Now, obviously, you know, this coaching ticket might well survive because Joe Schmidt comes in and saves them. Yeah, it's crazy, really, isn't it? Um, but I suppose, certainly by all black standards, the last couple of years haven't been kind of 
at the heights we, we we're used to with them. Um, usually, if they lose a match or two, um, they get back on track pretty quickly. And but I think there's been a big transition the last number of years. Even though we'll see the likes of Italic, Whitelock, Sevilla, um, you know, Borden Barrett, all these players who are, are not youngsters anymore, still still heavily involved with the All Blacks. Um, but there's yeah, there's certainly a little bit of a frustration and uh, probably a pressure on Ian Foster and his coaching team um, going forward. So it'll be interesting. Like, you know, the reality is, and I, I, I was thinking about this myself, that, you know, they're going to be pretty angry, pretty aggressive against Ireland and pretty determined to not give Ireland a sniff in these three tests. So um, there's there's huge pressure all around and um, it's going to be a big there's kind of added spice to this really because of Ireland's success against the All Blacks in recent years so um, now we have Joe Schmidt involved so um, it just it makes it really interesting doesn't it does Schmidt want to become full-time head coach of the All Blacks one day I don't know um, you know I think he's he's obviously been back in New Zealand for a couple of years now for family reasons and um, involved with the Blues um, and I, I'm sure look it's his home country his home team and probably the biggest most exciting kind of coaching job in world rugby your your percentage of, of, of win rate is is usually very very high on and um i i would imagine you know it's a, it's a job that he would love to have at some stage but um and and you know he was being touted a couple of years ago when 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 he was leaving ireland probably before the world cup um, as as getting the job, um, they appointed, and they usually appoint within, don't they? Um, that's why Ian Foster kind of stepped up, and um, but he is under a bit of pressure, and I think it's a little bit unfair in the sense that you know there has been a fair bit of change, um, and a lot of top players have have moved on, and that transition has happened the last couple of years. But I can't speak for Joe and say he wants the top job, but um, you know, obviously he's back in New Zealand and. He's, he's going to be heavily linked with us. Um, as is Scott Robertson, given the success he's had with the Crusaders, I think he'd, he's made no secret of, of the fact that he, he would like to be All Blacks coach someday as well. So um, it's uh, it just makes it a really interesting week with, with, with Joe Schmidt now involved coaching against players that a lot of them who he, he really kind of instilled the confidence and a belief and um, had great success with. Yeah, it's like Game of Thrones territory in New Zealand at the moment with everything that's going on. So it was Roy O'Connor uh, on uh, Twitter, the Irish Independent. So Schmidt is part of the, the uh, All Blacks coaching team. We don't know exactly the role, but uh, Ian Foster, he's down with COVID. John Plumtree is down with COVID. And he also says Scott McLeod, another All Blacks assistant, also tested positive for COVID, leaving just Greg Feek and Brad Moore still standing from the original coaching team. So maybe Joe just goes in and automatically is head coach because that's the role that he's used to doing. He's worked with Greg Feek, Greg Feek in the past and um, maybe it'll be him in the box making the calls down to, uh, you know, to knife us gently uh, in the belly at, at the weekend. Um, it, it, yeah, what, I, what I've read myself is that he's going to go in and take the training, uh, right. training on Tuesday, Tuesday and Thursday and... Um, whether you know Ian Foster be back in the coach's coach's box, um, I just we don't know exactly when he when he tested positive. Was it last Thursday or Friday? Was it last week? Um, would he, would they get back in the coaching box? But I'd imagine if Joe is going to be involved in the training during the week, that he's going to be probably involved in the match day stuff as well. I think that's the way they'd probably have to plan it. Yeah. Um, 
But I mean, it's fascinating. What was already an interesting tour has suddenly ratcheted up uh, a significant degree. Also news coming through from Roy O'Connor. Herring and Henderson are injured. Niall Scannell has been called up. Mac Hansen has COVID. He's isolating. So, fingers crossed, no no more COVID in the Ireland camp. Uh, that will probably take him out of... Um, selection which means that maybe we're going to see Balakoon. Uh, the, the Mary team has been named overnight as well um, TJ Perinara is on the bench uh, again this is coming from Keen Tracy the Irish Independent he's saying that um, uh, Perinara is a joint captain um, and uh, Brad Weber who is co-captain is uh, is going to start at scrum half he's a 17 time all black so you know no slouch either um, this could this is going to be very very interesting. <laughs> Where we start losing some players to COVID, we're down in New Zealand. Can't really call up uh, replacements. The squad gets ten, and suddenly it's like, uh oh, Andy Farrell at number eight. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a challenge for business, and uh, they're probably. You know where where we were a number of months ago when they started opening things up, and and COVID still being pretty present and. Um, that's the difficulty. I'm not sure what the Ian Henderson injury is or the Rob Her- Herring one, but obviously Rob Herring is. Um, you know, you're down to two. Uh, you're down to two hookers um, if 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 Herring isn't available for for Wednesday's Maori game, and then you're in risk a risky situation. Um, sorry, lads, I lost you for a second. Yeah, no worries. No, the um, the update came then through. It, it, there's no there's no specific it's not like that they've been sent home Henderson and Herring both picked up knocks in training on Saturday and will be scanned today Monday in Auckland Niall Scannell has been added to the squad to provide additional cover at Hooker he will arrive in New Zealand on Tuesday morning and Mac Hansen tested positive for COVID and has been isolated from the rest of the squad we're going to have a team named overnight so this time tomorrow we'll know the team for the Mary game yeah it's um, and, and I suppose it's some guys Jerry are going to have to double up this week which makes it pretty difficult um, I think if you traditionally you know um, for for some players here I suppose some guys would have done it on a Lions tour but um, the likes of probably Conor Murray maybe Keith Earls Rob Herring if he was on the bench would have had to double up Dan Sheehan he could be involved now so it's tricky for the players who are probably going to double up and, and they may be sitting on the bench twice this week if, if that makes sense Um I would have had Ty Byrne probably involved in the Maori game to get him some game time, um, not starting for the, the all-black test on Saturday because I suppose I thought Henderson and James Ryan maybe were the, were the two that you know played a number of matches towards the end of the season would have been match fit and it would have been brilliant to have Ty Byrne coming off the bench. You know, he may have to start now. Maybe Joe McCarthy might come into the picture if Henderson is not able to train during the week, but Certainly when a player is going for a scan, um, you worry and uh, there's a little bit of concern there. Hope he's, I hope he's all right, but um, it's not ideal because if he's going for a scan, he's probably not going to train this week. But, um, you know, the, 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 the rest of the players that, that are kind of travelling out and, you know, we get a, probably a, a team for the Maori, the Maori match pretty soon. Um, you'd imagine this 95% of the starting team won't be involved on Saturday. And that's why they're brought out there. That's why he's brought an extended squad. But some players are going to have to double up. And that's probably going to be on the bench. Yeah, sorry, of course. I mentioned Balkan. He's injured, obviously. He did his hip um, while I was on holidays and missed that. Um, so, 
what what are you hoping for from the players who do have to double up like uh, that no, no one will start the game at the weekend for the tests who has played significant minutes or do you want some game time at all during the week to sharpen no, you up no I no. think the, the, the team I've kind of picked is, is you know you've brought Jeremy Lockman out there so there's no point in starting Keane Healy at loose and then having him on the bench um, and having an issue there I think Jeremy Lockman did you know what happens at Hooker now Jerry, because of, of Rob Herring um, Dave Heffernan I think would still start against the Maoris with Dan Sheehan it's going to be very difficult for for, um, for Niall Scanlon to go straight on the bench for the Maori game if he's only in Tuesday. Maybe he will. Um, Tom O'Toole, Ryan Bear, Joe McCarthy, Keane Prendergast, Nick Timoney, Gavin Coombs. That's the forward pack that I would start. And really, you want to try and find out a little bit about the character of these guys uh, in a really kind of hostile environment. It's kind of a little bit unknown. You know, all these players who are going to play for the Maoris, the New Zealand team, um, they've all been pretty good in Super Rugby. They've 10 debutants. So there's a little bit unknown about how good they'll be and how well they'll gel together. So we can't really predict this game or kind of know what's exactly going to happen. But, um, you know, if they're allowed to play the Maoris and, and um, get time and space, um, you know, they can be devastating. But... It's a real kind of test for, for the players. Craig Casey has started nine. Harry Byrne and Kieran Frawley. It depends what Andy Farrell and Mike Hat see um, Kieran Frawley's role in this tour. Um, is he ahead of Ke- uh, Harry Byrne now? You know, if you bring Harry Byrne, maybe you start him and throw him, throw him in there on, on Wednesday. Um, you know, Bundyaki is kind of an interesting one. I saw some some journalists kind of saying that maybe he'll start against the Maori and you know he won't be starting or on the bench for for, for the the Ireland test um which would be difficult because Robbie Henshaw and himself are kind of going head to head for that 12 jersey maybe they'll end up playing together in the test who knows um James Hume as well at 13 and Jordan Larmer Michael Lowry they're kind of the players that the obvious kind of choices um that will start that Maori game and then you're going to have some guys as I said on the bench doubling up which is it's a tough week for them and they may only play two 20 minute clips and end up with 40 minutes this week but just mentally preparing for a game on Wednesday then probably trying to recover and switch back into a test match situation on Saturday but that's the nature of touring and also probably the, the nature of what they want to achieve before the World Cup next year. And, and Andy Farrell did say that, that he wants 40 players capable of playing World Cup knockout rugby next year. This is, like everybody said it, it's like one of the most challenging tours Ireland are ever going to go on. And when you throw that, that, that Mary situation into the mix to kick things off, like there is going to be a lot of hard questions asked with what this Irish team has to go through over the next little while. There is, yeah. And I think, um, you know, think, thinking about it all, do, like... We're a year out from the World Cup, and I think obviously what happened the last time we were in 2018, a year out from before 19 World Cup in Japan, the Irish team was in brilliant form. It was all positive. So those kind of questions under pressure, and they might be little moments in the game where you are under severe pressure, and you just got to hold hold on, hold on for dear life defensively, um, steal the line out win a big scrum, make a big tackle, something like that. Those kind of moments that 
can really enhance a player's self-confidence, self-belief and make them feel that they're ready to to really challenge for the starting jersey. So um, it is about creating depth. And, you know, Wednesday night in Hamilton is going to be fairly hostile and there's so much tradition with the with the Maori uh, jersey and the history of all that. Um, it was interesting to have Ruga Tapoki in with them last week, just talking about the culture and what it means to play for the Maoris. But um, look, I think um, it's they'll be they'll be skillful enough, and probably a lot of these young players will be pretty confident and want to lay down a marker. But they've got to play as a unit and play as a team, and, and a lot of the players. Um, who are going to play have been in really good form. Um, There's a world in which we lose all five games, isn't there? Like, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility here. Uh, the, the experimental Mary side or the inexperienced Mary side as opposed to experimental maybe um, suggests Ireland should be favourites for that game. But it's hard to know until we see what Ireland team is named. There is a world in which we lose all five games and it's not a disaster. There's a world in which we lose all five games and it's a complete disaster. Correct. Um yeah, lose all five games and you're competitive and you're you're close and some in in those games and really you know scoring tries and 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 getting moments in those games as I spoke about um, and it's not the end of the world because you know I'd rather I'd rather kind of find things out now and I'm sure Andy Farr w- w- would say that he'll want to win these matches but um, and and learn from some experiences and be able to look back when you do the analysis and say well. A certain, you know, defensive lapse here, or you know, um, a scrum issue, or, or someone switching off here has cost us a game, or, or a bit of discipline, or something like that, or a couple of penalties. But if you're if you're in a situation, and that's what I say, you don't know what way these Maori All Blacks um, will kind of gel together. They're obviously very, very talented players. They've played 18 weeks of Super Rugby, so they're 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 right slap bang in the middle of their season. They'll all have be pretty match fit and match sharp. Um, and you'll have some X-Factor players in there who who will be really kind of trying to push on to the All Blacks as well because they yeah. have a bigger, big, big summer ahead. So um, it's a big challenge, but I'd be confident. I'm, I'm really keen to see how they cope with um, just being in New Zealand, that whole culture there and, and the obsession with rugby. And it's a, really, it's a brilliant place to tour. You know, I've been there a number of times. It's a fantastic place. The people there are brilliant. They love their rugby. And they appreciate good rugby. So, um, you know, I hope and hopefully a lot of these players who get an opportunity on Wednesday night really step up to the plate. All right. Well, Alan, safe flight tomorrow. Thanks for joining us today. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, lads. It's uh, Alan Quillen uh, about to head off for the adventure down under. Um, what do you think? How many games are we going to win? Let's let's go for a win in one of the Maori games. <laughs> so one, one out of five. One out of five. Yeah, uh, I don't. I think the test is going to be very very challenging, and I think that uh, the All Blacks are angry now. I think that the Schmidt thing adds to it rather than takes away. Oh, it's brilliant. From, from an, uh, sorry, obviously from a spectacle point, but I think it, it might actually add to the All Blacks. I think they'd, they'd probably be stronger, possibly stronger with this, even though it's. Because what of a he, huge if, disruption to their what if, to what if he wins? Does he get the job? I was thinking that it's like, does he, if he wins three tests, all of a sudden is he in Foster? Like, just you oh. got to presume Fast COVID's going to be grand by the weekend. But like, the All Blacks should stop picking up Ian Foster's calls. <laughs> He's just locked out of the training ground. It's like, um, what was it when uh, Mark Lawrenson leaves his in one of his managerial posts? He he like tries to get into the pub and the pub is locked and he has to keep walking down the street. Be Ian Foster trying to get back into the All Blacks training ground after Schmidt. Uh, masterminds a three-test win.
Uh, well, certainly we'll be talking about it all uh, on OTBAM and, of course, and off the ball on uh, News Talk every day, pretty much, between now and the end of the tour. A reminder, we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio today. Paul McGrath on the Charlton Era is OTB Gold at one o'clock. Splunk Sport at three. Our classic games club is Dublin versus Kerry in 2001. See, it, it, all, it all makes sense again. Uh, live commentary of the Republic of Ireland against Georgia from... 6, that's actually 5pm, sorry, that kickoff is at 5pm uh, with Nathan and Ruth Fahey on duty for that one. Uh, you can follow off the ball across all our social channels, subscribe to our YouTube and be sure to download the OTP Sports app for the very latest and best sports content and podcast analysis. Now, uh, after these, we've got Armaz Aaron Kernan to review yesterday's All-Ireland quarterfinal. OTB AM. Right, 14 minutes past nine this morning here on OTB AM. I'm delighted to say Aaron Kernan is with us. Aaron, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Darren. Um Did the brawl help or hinder Armagh, do you think? Um, to be honest, I'm not really sure it had much of an effect on them. Um, I, I don't think it changed the outcome of the game the way I probably imagined it would have. Um, it, uh, I suppose the, the nature of how chaotic the game had got uh, towards the end of normal time it, it didn't seem to, to knock either side uh, off their stride. Um, yes, there were mistakes and there was people going down with cramp and um, decision-making was always going to be different. Uh, but uh, no, in terms of what actually happened, I think both teams uh, spent enough time refocusing um, and going out and making sure that they did what they had to do to, to finish out the game and get the win. Um, and fortunately, on for Galway, uh, they just managed that bit more composure whenever it comes to the penalties. Then it did seem as if um, Galway recovered composure in extra time in a way that the last ten minutes, the last eight minutes, or uh, the added time at the end of normal time, that their composure had deserted them. I don't know, maybe maybe they got a bit of righteous indignation or something in the change room from it. It just felt like a little bit. It, Galway somehow managed to recover from a situation where it looked like they were in rag order. They did, and I would have felt that uh, Armagh definitely were the team in the ascendancy. Like realistically, Galway had the game won and won well. Uh, you, like six points up with a couple of minutes to go, um, you expect to see that out. Uh, but in fairness to to boys, you know they, they stuck at it. Uh, you could say maybe some of the goals were fortuitous, but we put the ball into the danger area and we had the right men in the right place, um, and it made for an absolutely grandstand finish. And um, I know obviously the, the past few years have been difficult on everybody. Um, but I suppose from an IMR perspective, it's a long time since we've been that close and that competitive uh, in, a, in an All-Ireland quarterfinal. The business end of the season and I think our supporters really um, got got involved and, and made it an unbelievable occasion. Um, and it carried on for practically another hour after that between um, the extra time and the penalties. What what what's the standing of of the management team at the moment? Because it, it like this does not feel like it's a team that has finished. It doesn't feel like it's a a team that's reaching the end of a road. It feels like we're you know I think like you know the last couple of years as you say we would have seen a performance like this from Armagh through the back door if there had been a back door during the COVID championship, and we would have got to this point a little bit earlier. Certainly in terms of the rest of the country paying attention to what was happening because we saw the quality of the football they played in the league this year so I presume no one's clamouring for a change and that actually everybody feels like you're in the middle of something here as opposed to towards the end of it Ah yeah like that wouldn't even be coming into to the equation um, after yesterday evening uh, I would have to say 
I would fully expect the the management team uh, to stay on. And uh, you know, I suppose if you just look at it again, we're we're not the excuses. Uh, genuinely, I felt Galway were probably were the better team. Um, we we just showed Chris to to stick in it whenever Lucky was going away from us. But we're we're missing um, a few key players as well there yesterday. Um, just out through injury, where maybe the likes of Derry at the moment who've made the breakthrough. They're, they're quite fortunate where they're, they have a full hand to pick from so definitely there are a few key faces who will come back into the mix next year that will make us even stronger in terms of they'll definitely be starters um, or even they'll both through your bench through the options that we would have like we had two boys coming on yesterday um, Justin Cairn they could get a couple of minutes against Donegal um, and Owen Woods from Carrick and I'd never played for us at senior level so they were boys you were bringing on at the end of normal time uh, that have no real experience at this level uh, so our bench, well, their experience and what they gained yesterday, they'll be better for it. But definitely there are other key personnel, number four or five players that will, will make us a better group for next year. And I would fully expect that management team to be the ones that lead them. It's interesting you talk about um, feeling like Galway were actually the, the better team. Because that, that seems to be a consensus that's building. But in the first 15, 20 minutes, it didn't look like they were the better team. And it felt almost as if the game is there for Armagh. If, if there's just a little bit more self-belief or, I don't know, is it is it experience? Because like, the, the gap between the two teams was, you know, there was no gap at the end of, uh, of extra time. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is there actually elements that Armagh are going to be looking back on that going, ah, Jesus, that was right there for us if we just did X, Y and Z? No, apologies. You're right in terms of the first 20 minutes. Um, I thought we completely controlled the game. I thought we had a better team. I thought we looked like we'd settle really well. Uh, I think a big one that we will look back at regrets is the two goal opportunities that we actually created, that we worked on, um, which was Jarley O'Burns' where, where he breaks through and fists the ball over the bar. Um, and then the other one was where Rain O'Neill hits a superb pass. Everything he's going to shoot into the hill hits a nice wee diagonal ball into Aidan Nugent. Greg McCabe comes straight off Aidan's right shoulder heading towards goal, but Aidan turns, thinking he was going to get shot off himself, and they end up getting blocked. And out of those two uh, attempts, we got one point, um, you know, and I think if you just look at the day before, for me, it's a mentality thing where Derry are clearly looking for goals. It's something that they're clearly speaking about and something that they're clearly working on in training. Um, they have a ruthless streak in them once they get, even if it's a half a sniff, they're going for goal. They don't care. And I think that's one aspect that Arma in particular will look back with regret. Um, but it is a, it's an area that obviously you can work on and you can identify. Um, but as for yesterday, it was an area that I, I think at that stage that you were speaking about, first 15, 20 minutes, if Jarlio goes for goal and it goes in, um, I, I would have thought that we definitely would have had complete control of the game because at that stage, Galway were still finding their feet where we looked like we were really settled and assured. Um, and then obviously they reeled us in and you, you go in half-time a draw game where we basically had control of it for the vast majority. So what changed then? What's, what allowed Galway to, to reel our man in? Uh, I thought that I was in the canal end, so I, I thought their forward shape, uh, they, they looked a bit confused about where they all were going to play and I'm talking about in particular the Danger Men Comer, Finnerty, Walsh they, they never really looked like they were getting in threatening positions they never looked like they were available for a nice wee pop inside pass like the ones I'm speaking about that, that Rain O'Neill give in to Aidan Nugent for the goal chance or there was another one in the Aidan Nugent he literally just led out from basically the, the end lane uh, straight in front of goal wins it in the 14 pops it off a shoulder to the Ray O'Neill, taps it over the bar, simple scores, Armagh were getting, 
Um, but Galway then started to have more men ahead of the ball so that they were winning possession in the inside forward lane and then coming on the loop Matthew Tierney had a super one off his left foot Rob Finnerty had a cracking one coming in off the Hogan stand off his left foot so it was the I, I don't know whether the they were overthinking it in terms of you know trying to take Armagh players into different positions or whether they just got bit knocked back by Armagh's intensity. Um, but once they got settled into the game, I felt that at all times they had they had their danger men in, in the right areas. So it was particularly Comer and Finnerty. Um I thought Walsh was really well marshaled throughout the whole game. Um, but yeah, their, their forward shape in particular changed and defensively, they, they were very standoffish. I don't know whether they're afraid of giving away a free or committing to a tackle and, and getting skipped by. Um, but they were quite passive early on and they, they fairly got the, the grips with their boys. They had pressure on the man on the ball and then they always had a second man who was coming in to double up, which basically slowed Armagh's play and made the next pass go backwards. And then we had to come forward again and, and go with and obviously were much better set up. Um, so all in all, in you have to give them credit. They adapted to the game, um, whether it was managerial tweaks or instructions or the players themselves. Um, they definitely showed good composure to keep themselves in a game whenever it looked like it was going away from them. And that's like the really optimistic thing for Galway going into the semi-final is that like, they would have been put through the ringer yesterday. But that is such a huge amount of credit to have in the bank going into that semi-final. And specifically, as you say, to be able to figure out that defensive system that our man employed yesterday and to know that their management can get it right in game or that their players can figure it out themselves in game is a hugely encouraging thing before that dairy match absolutely and to be fair everyone would have had their question marks over Galway more from a mental perspective uh, whenever games were going against them obviously not in terms of the, the skill attributes that they have so like they will take well they would have been really disappointed at the time to throw away a six point lead late on I, I think whenever Porridge sits back himself and his management team it's the character that they show in the first half it's the character that they show to come out in extra time or penalties uh, like you can't quantify that he, Joyce could take them out to, to Lock George the training centre as often as he wants and and try and convince them that, you know, we're good enough and this is our year and why wait for another year. But what they actually did yesterday, he now has, he has genuinely something to work with with them um, in terms of what he would have seen and I suppose the pride that he would have had in them that they were able to see out difficult situations and keep their calmness and composure. And I suppose it was all over the field. I just thought that they they had an assurance about them. Um, Kieran Malloy in particular to me, and that 15 minutes before half time, I thought he looked really, really good on the ball himself. And they himself obviously have huge, um, I suppose, a huge winning mentality whenever it comes to Crow Park because of what they've done off the back of their, their Carfin exploits. And uh, like they would have no inferiority complex to anybody. But those boys in particular got on a huge amount of ball. They were very composed and very calm um, and, and just seen out diff- a difficult time for them. And like I said, then they were able to come in at, at half-time, draw and, and momentum starting to really build with them. So all in all, um, they'll be absolutely delighted uh, with what they would have got out of yesterday in terms of the mental uh, suppose baggage that they might have had. I think I heard one of the stats that they'd only won maybe one game in Crow Park in, in this past 13 or 14 years, which is incredible to think whenever you give the quality of players that they have. So to win a game in that fashion, you know, not it wasn't a game where it went one easy to have to 
absolutely go to the pin of your collar and be asked every question possible and more and still answer them. is It's a terrific way to go into a semi-final. How do you stop Derry then? That's a difficult one. Uh, it'll be a different prospect to RMA because while I felt yesterday it was going to go the way that it did pan out because I thought um, both teams have definitely improved, like always improved defensively and how they were in the league final this year. RMA massively improved from what they were uh, against Monaghan last year in terms of the mental goals they conceded. But I knew they would still keep enough men ahead of the ball that they could play a direct stage uh, and they would rack up big scores. Derry obviously kill you on a counter-attack. Um, you just simply can't carry the ball into traffic to get turnovers and you can't kick it away um, needlessly. But to, to be fair to Galway, I think they have enough really good quality footballers and I think that's why yesterday will be massive because of the, the actual self-belief and confidence that they will take from it. Um, it's it's knowing when to to pick a pass inside to, to your to your inside men. Like I, I still wouldn't be risk averse to putting a long ball in to Damien Comer and having runners coming off him because he has the physical attributes to win that ball and then he has the quality to come off either shoulder, whether it's Finnerty or Walsh from, from either wing. So for me, like I think you have to ask their questions. I know to a certain extent you do still need to play the game on their terms, but ultimately if you want to beat them, you need to do what suits you best. Um, and Galway need to they need to be working on that fine balance over the next few weeks in terms of being composed in possession at all times, um, but still asking questions of the dairy fullback lane in their fullback lane. You know, not not having Comer doing what Michael Murphy done and coming out the field to try and get on balls and working one twos and trying to bust through tackles from there. Uh, because it takes the likes of your Brandon Rogers out the field. Um, you've seen what Conor McCluskey done the other day, Chris McKeague's up taking shots. So dairy defenders, they are more than happy if you start taking them out the field. So it's it's Galway finding that right balance between being sensible what they do in, in play, um, but also still having their danger men in the right areas um, that, that they can cause dairy trouble. Uh, one of the things you mentioned Cara Finn there like obviously the, the Slock Neal players have the experience of going to the end of the season uh, in big games and so th- this isn't an inexperienced Derry side even though at this level they don't have this experience at senior inter county level so there's no fear uh, when you're talking about what, what level of performance we're going to get from them Derry will show up against Galway no matter what is thrown at them get the sense that they're going to play to their potential in this game and that's the incredible thing about what they've done this year. Uh, I, I sort of felt that the Tyrone performance, I, I, I would have thought, well, I would have known with Rory Gallagher that they were going to be so well set up, so focused, so motivated all year with this one big game in place. But to then go and back it up since is incredible. And it just goes to show how focused and how united as a group they are and how much they have bought into him and, and his philosophies and they're going to be incredibly hard to beat like this game is going to the wire go and need to prepare for what happened yesterday again because like the, the, there's no way this is going to be uh, an easy an easy day out for anybody Derry will go for the full 70 minutes 90 minutes whatever it takes and for me that is the biggest thing that they have improved on this year in terms of the style of football they play and the high energy and men behind the ball. We've seen all that a million times and so many teams have tried to replicate it since Jimmy McGuinness broke in with this Donegal team in the early 
uh, well, it was 11, 12, obviously, whenever they won the All-Ireland. Uh, but no one has been able to even get close to replicate doing what they were doing until this very team. Um, it, it's, it's been absolutely incredible, the turnaround in them, considering where they've come over this past few years. Uh, and, and even they could have taken a huge knockback in terms of the hiding that Galway gave them in, in Owen Begg, uh, the second last league game, whenever basically everything was riding in that game. It could have derailed them completely where players could have, you know, went in their, themselves and maybe their own weak groups felt like, you know, are we doing the right thing in terms of how we're tactically set up? But they obviously brushed it off very They cut it off as a one-off and they've regrouped hugely from that. Like, and the thing with the Jim McGuinness comparison and the Donegal comparison is that it feels like the Dairy team could get over the line at the first time of asking. It kind of feels like whatever they were doing over the last few years of COVID has made a, a real difference in a way that, you know, Donegal obviously had to lose that semi-final in 2011 and come back a more evolved team in 2012. Like, I may be getting way carried away with uh, Saturday here, but it feels like Derry are closer to the finished article this year than Donegal potentially were in 2011. T- to be fair, you, you wouldn't be that far gone. Like, whenever... It's the ruthlessness that they had the other day, and and how how much they wanted to go for the throat straight away. And you can say right, it, it's it's only player, but it was an All Ireland quarter final. It was a big game for Derry too. Um, like they could have been could have been a hangover from the Ulster final. That could have been they could have been happy with their lot, but they're clearly not. Um, they're they absolutely they've ticked one box now. And it wasn't about winning a quarterfinal, and it won't be about winning the semi-final, and it won't openly come out and say it. But they're going to win the All Ireland. That's all that they have in their head, and and that's a difficult animal to hold back whenever they're playing with the energy and the intensity and the madness that they are uh, at at the moment that they have throughout the whole championship. So, um, no, they are very much focused on they want to win this All Ireland, and it's not a matter matter of waiting for next year and hopefully evolve and develop. And, yeah. Um, get get a few more players. No, it's now. I think going, they, their plan is to win the All Ireland this year. Well, they they not wait anymore. The point about the Clare thing is like, uh, as you say, people will go, oh, it's only Clare, but they were they've done exactly the same thing against Division One teams in Ulster the whole way through. They've always, when there's been a goal opportunity on, they've been like, yeah, we're going to take that. There's no fisting the ball over the bar with these guys. No, no, and uh, that, that's why it would be lazy analysis to turn around and and try and throw it at you know, it's just Clare. Um, it would be disrespectful obviously Claire and very disrespectful to Derry they've been doing this like they went after Tyrone Tyrone were absolutely annihilated as all Ireland champions within their own backyard um, Monaghan done everything they could to stick with them couldn't do it Derry or Donegal to be fair maybe looked late on like they maybe had them beat but Derry just stuck to their principles stuck to what they were going to do and chased down what looked like uh, a defeat and managed to salvage a win out of it. So um, they, they won't care. They won't care who they come up against. The, the self-belief and the drive that was in that group, um, they, they, like I said, they've ticked one box, but they'll absolutely have visions of something much bigger. Uh, Parik Joyce was very against penalty shootouts. This is not soccer, essentially, was what he was saying. Kieran McGinley was like, look, the, uh, you know, the way things are at the moment, asking fans and supporters <coughs> to come to Dublin again, it's too expensive. We all knew what the story was. Uh, heading into the championship there's heartbreak in sport like it's what it is uh, where do you stand on this this morning I agree it is what it is uh, we knew before the season started that there's going to be penalties everyone from Armagh was saying to, like as we were leaving the ground yesterday you know, that's no way to, to lose but my thing is so say if we come back next weekend uh, obviously you have the expense 
for, for families and supporters. But then what happens if it ends in a draw next week and the All-Ireland semi-finals the following week? Do we have to go to the penalties next week? Is it OK next week? Do you know, if you know what the rules are, you can't be complaining today about it. Um, do you know, it is what it is. I would have rather the game to be finished and, and completed yesterday. Um, it's not ideal. It's it's new in terms of this stage of knockout uh, championship football. But my thing is, if it was a draw next week, it went extra time. It was still a draw. We're going to have to do penalties at some stage, you know. So, uh, and I, I would rather if we had been lucky enough to get over yesterday to have your week's break to then go and prepare for an All Ireland semi final. Um, so, the, the big thing that we always spoke about for years in terms of your your calendar that was going to accommodate your club and your county players and give certainty was that you had to put a proper structure. And the only way that you can guarantee that you're going to finish out games and not having them dragging on all year is by playing to a close on the day. And the biggest probably issue in terms of I would have is, as a GA person yesterday was what happened to Mayo and Kerry. You know, like I, I don't know how they remain focused and I would be fairly sure that the drag on uh, and the layoff in their game affected their game. It affected the atmosphere, obviously, in their game. But psychologically, it had to be a huge... Uh, hindrance to, to both those players so I, I definitely think in terms of the time that it took for penalties and that there that the GA absolutely have to tighten up on that it seemed like it took forever yeah. um, it could have took about 20 minutes yeah. from the end of extra time for the penalties I couldn't understand maybe it was because it was the such biggest high profile game it was on TV they were trying to tick every box but it just took forever and the atmosphere nearly died um, with us um, so, so that's the biggest thing that I think the GA needs to go to if we're going to go for penalties that's fine we all know where to stand get out into practicing them. Do you know, it's as simple as that. I heard, obviously, Sean Cavanaugh saying it's, it's not a fundamental of our game in terms of penalty taking, but free takers are the ones who go out and practice after training every night because they're going to hit the freeze. So if you're going to be hitting penalties, get out and practice every night and we can't be using it as an excuse. I agree with that, 100%. Aaron, good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Not a problem, man. I'd say maybe excluding the era of the 80-minute finals, that might have been the longest game of Gaelic football ever in recorded history because like, it was endless. So long. I was bursting as well. <laughs> I was like, I'll wait till after the game to go upstairs. And I was it like, never, never went. This, it's going on for quite a while. <laughs> I just didn't want to miss a second of it because like, there was going to be massive queues. There was massive queues everywhere in Croke Park yesterday. Uh, so, um, yeah, it just was interminable. Like, what time did the second game start at 5.40 like, or something oh ridiculous God, I ridiculous. don't know like and also like somebody made the point outside Croke Park yesterday is like like do players like to take caffeine tablets like Kerry Mayo players were coming up <laughs> off their caffeine and coming down <laughs> off their caffeine and the whole stadium was just in a massive lull um, when that game started and it felt like it it like just was yeah it, like I was absolutely exhausted like I was doing had to like take deep breaths during that Galway Armagh game it was as a neutral the most excited I think I've ever been for a sporting event uh, we put a Twitter poll up asking whether or not GA games should be settled by penalty shootouts 54% say no 46% say yes I'm in full agreement with Aaron Kernan there though like yeah. do you know like it, it's actually unfair to ask everybody in this game to come back for a replay because it, it automatically handicaps them against whoever's in the, uh, waiting for them on the other side in an All-Ireland final go to replay no problems yeah like, and I, I especially like agree with his point there where he's like would penalties be okay next week yeah. like, I, I don't really agree with this kind of fundamental uh, it's not a fundamental part of GEA argument at all I do, I do think there's some credence in the argument kicking the ball is a fundamental part of the game of football it yeah. turns out yeah and like I mean penalties in soccer uh, aren't you know necessarily a, a fundamental skill at the game like penalties are awarded in soccer penalties are awarded in Gaelic football 
in real time. Like they are uh, a, a similarly um, a seldom occurrence in, in both of the games or whatever. And also something that only one player takes per team in, in open play. But yeah, I don't agree with the fundamental stuff. But I do, I do think there's like maybe some credit in the argument about you know replays should should be um, decided first and and then um, then a penalty shootout. Just in the in the bigger games, and I'm just saying that from a purely selfish standpoint, I would watch that again yesterday. Yeah. All right. Uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back tomorrow from half past seven. Pearl Slattery is going to be on hand to review the Republic of Ireland against Georgia, which is live on OTB Sports Radio this evening. Alan Callaghan will be chatting all things Cork GAA. Tommy Walsh will preview the All Ireland hurling semi-finals, and Deal or No Deal is back. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.